Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and today I'm joined by two of my good friends, Mr. Tim Elliott and Mr. Kurt Greenfield. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Good morning. How's it going? It's not a bad Sunday. It's not a bad Sunday. We got a break from the heat here in the Midwest for one day. But it's 99 instead of 100? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been 100 the past couple of days here in Texas, and we had a thunder uh, thunderstorm break early in the morning here, but it's already passed, and so it's probably going to get up to 100 again, and it'll be incredibly humid, too. We, uh, we're today in Nevada. It's supposed to be the hottest it's been in two years. It's supposed to hit 114. <sighs> but it's a dry heat. It, absolutely. It's it's about 3% humidity. Just don't sit in a leather car, leather seat. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> ow, ow, ow. All right. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, you know, with the coronavirus lockdown, we're still plugging away, trying to put out episodes every week. Uh, this week... We are going to cover, it looks like, X-Men, Elseworlds, is that 11 and 12? 11 and 12. 11 and 12. Yeah. Issues 13 is going on right now, and i got to tell you guys, Friday's cliffhanger has got me on pins and needles. Have you read up to, to yesterday, to Friday? I skimmed it last night, yes. Holy I, ha- I haven't. <laughs> I, don't read, I don't read ahead. I wait till the whole issue's out. Then I, so yeah, I've read well, up through 12. That's all I've read. Well, you know, it falls under the whole, every page should be a cliffhanger to get you to turn to the next one. And what he's doing is really just amazing. Ah, uh, 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 no spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm, again, I haven't said what's happening, who's in peril, why, and, and everything. But, oh, my God, you know, it's just, it, it's getting better and better um, as, as far as these little moments uh, I think we'll have you know some some interesting discussion in regards to uh, plotting and story direction as we as we cover the issues we want to cover today. Um, but uh, does anybody have anything they want to bring up before we get started in there? I know we do have some feedback to cover, but uh, is there anything else? I think Kurt wanted to make a little announcement. Yeah, there are two things here. Uh, one. Was it last week? I think somebody said if you count the number of issues that have come out now, and assuming that this follows after um, Uncanny X-Men 137, mm-hmm. that we're about to hit what would have fallen at issue 150 if it had been in sequence. That may be significant for some of the content that we're going to talk about. Oh, I just yeah. thought that was really interesting uh, observation because I hadn't thought of it that way, but in terms of numbering... We're just about to the point, and you remember Marvel always used to uh, deal with the 50s and 100 issues mm-hmm. as being somehow important and significant, and then eventually they did 75, you know, on the quarter. Quarter quells also terribly important. Yep. He, he may be plotting to that. I don't know. Well, that's. The, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up, because I remember uh, there is, you know, of course, out there you can find it if you look hard enough. A, uh, a a piece of paper that's been scanned, and it is r- the rough uh, direction that Byrne and Claremont wanted to take the X Men over the various issues that they had plotted mm-hmm. out for for a couple of years, culminating is- issue one fifty with a new final battle with a particular character. Right. 
Right. And, 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 you know, by, by thinking that and what you're talking about here, it all seems to kind of line up there. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Well, it does, but I thought he said on his forum because somebody asked him that. Uh, and he said the numbers don't line or they don't. He's not trying. He wasn't trying to marry up his issues with what would have gone on if he had, you know, the book had gone the way they wanted it to. So I, I don't know if if it's just a coincidence or if he is already trying to do that. But I thought he was not necessarily trying to marry the two up. I, I've noticed a lit, a, just a tiny little bit of misdirection on his forum when people are asking him certain direct questions about these things. Yeah, that's true. You know, he, so you know, he, he, he doesn't can. want doesn't doesn't want to give away everything. And um, yeah, but uh, you know that be that as it may, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Now, uh, so just to peel back the curtain for our listeners a little bit, uh, we start a little bit earlier in the morning. I know for Tim, it's like what seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, in the yeah. morning for me, it's a little bit after nine. But I'm on vacation right now, and so uh, I got stuck up late watching watching movies and stuff last night. Oh, I watched one of my favorite movies of all time, Almost Famous. The the bootleg cut the other night and I really really enjoyed that um, but so I'm going to open up my usual caffeine and uh, let's uh, take a moment and I want to look at just a little bit of feedback we've gotten over the past couple weeks uh, you know from uh, the the our latest coverage we actually got um, a quote on the top, well, uh, some feedback on the top five covered, uh, top five covers, and this comes from James Roach, and it, basically he just says he enjoyed the discussion. He's surprised at some of the selections, but that's what makes it so much fun. And James, I'd really like you to elaborate on what surprised you, and if you want, provide us your top five. Now he also says, you know, future theme suggestions, and he said this is hard. <laughs> And I'm like, uh, you, you have no idea how hard it is for us to just figure out what show we want to do, what we want to do on our next show. <laughs> but he, he he suggested, and I know that we've discussed this before, the top five Burns splash pages. Mm. And because as much as he likes Burns covers, his splash pages are even better, uh, in his opinion, making it a lot harder to pick. And uh, I think we just did we discuss plus splash pages at one time. I mean, we discussed panels, but maybe not splash pages. Uh, we've discussed both actually. Um, and I think that, you know, the thing is, is that I think there's room for discussion on the best splash pages. And there's also room for uh, most influential panels or most effective panels. Because when you sit there and you think about, you know, the, the, I'll, I'll, I'll say, say right here, the most effective panel that um, I've seen in, in comic books is still from X-Men 132. The final panel of Wolverine down in the sewer, saying, "Okay, suckers, you've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn." And that one, that one panel right there, so hooked me into the X Men. That's why I am here right now. Uh, and I think that you know, of course, that, that there are other panels that probably have you know as much meaning for other people. Um, but I think that there's room for discussion. Uh, along a lot of the ones that he's done, you know, just the 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 one we were talking about, Next Man One Thirty Seven, that was uh, the five hundredth panel, and he actually put that in there. That if you paid enough attention, you would have seen that. Probably wouldn't have understood what it meant, but uh, it was there. 
Yeah. I think we could cover, and I just thought of this, you could do top five character moments, because that would include his writing as well, not just his artwork. So that would, that would, because if you're doing just panels, then I don't know if you would include something he did was just the writer on and not the artist. Um, but if you do top ten, you know, the Wolverine one you just mentioned, it was a perfect example, you know, top ten character moments that could be a panel or just something they or something that happened in the story it's not quite as you know concrete as just looking at this one little spot so it's maybe something that i mean when you start thinking i think there's lots of variations you can you can put on that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kirk do you have any other thoughts before i move on to the next one next uh letter you mean yeah it, it's uh, actually it's it basically these both came from facebook uh, we right. haven't gotten an email since Jack Bond sent us his response on Namer 10 through 12. Um, okay. But uh, the next one was uh, also James Roach. And on our Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch episode that we did with Scott Gardner, he was like, you know, great show. Best burn inker not named Terry Austin is Carl Kessel for the win. Bob Wyachek's not bad either. And I like both those inkers. Of course, I like Jerry Ordway as well. But uh, I, I think that, you know, Carl Kessel, while he's really good, he has a tendency to change Burns' faces uh, a lot more obviously than other artists do. But, uh, again, that's not, not necessarily a bad thing. Though he does have a tendency to make everybody have real sad lower lips. <laughs> if, if you go back and you look at the, the issues that Kessel has inked, You'll notice that he's got like whenever a character's got a grim forbearance, there's always that that lower lip. It's just almost like you know Angelina Jolie's bee stung kind of. They have a they all have a pouty lip. A very pouty lip, and it, it's 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 very uh, very pronounced in the work that he does. Again, that's not necessarily a a bad thing. His his attention to detail is really really good. And he always makes Burns' work look incredibly crisp, more crisp than when Burnings himself. Mm. So that's true. No, yeah. That's just my opinion, though. I could be wrong. Uh, Kirk, I think you, I know we talked about it uh, off air, but you, uh, I know you had another announcement you would have talked about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If this is, is not directly Burn related, but it is in current events, and there may be a, a connection. So I appreciate the indulgence. Of course, everybody's struggling with the pandemic and quarantine. Uh, and we know that comic book shops, as being non essential, have um, basically shut down for the duration here. Well, that's bad enough, but also think in terms of the suppliers. Both DC and Marvel have held up the pipeline. But there's another publisher that's uh, struggling right now. John Morrow of Two Morrow's Publications sent an email to all his uh, customer base probably about a month or so ago uh, asking for help and described the situation that they had a lot of inventory that was uh, printed and ready to go to comic shops that you know a lot of their sales come from off the shelf and this is you know in the realm of fanzines except their publications are cut above they are professional magazines that deal with everything from the jack kirby collector to the lego collector to alter ego to back issue to comic book artist i mean there's just a wealth of magazines that they publish supporting fandom and comics in particular so they have a glut they have a backlog, and it's tied up a lot of their capital. So not to drag this out too much, but he made an appeal saying, please, guys, if there, you ever thought that you were going to buy a back issue 
or any of our back catalog, now would be the time. We need help. So my appeal to our listeners is if you were ever looking for something that was uh, John Byrne related, maybe focus on John Byrne or uh, comic book artists that had a particular issue that dealt with John Byrne, uh, this would be the time. Tomorrow's publications could really appreciate the help. So if you want to take a look at their back stock, and it's extensive, you can go to their website, which is tomorrows.com. It's a play on his word, John Morrow. Uh, but it's tomorrows, T-W-O, tomorrows publications. And just, just browse around. You're bound to find something. And I think there's a sale on virtually everything that's back stock. But they could really use the help right now because they're struggling and trying to overcome this as well. So thanks for the, the uh, opportunity to share that request. Oh, I, I think Tim wanted you to talk about something else. Mm, really? No, I was talking about that. He, he oh. talked about that. Oh, okay. oh, talked, I, yeah, I, I must have missed that when I went to get my... Yeah, you stepped oh, yeah. away. You stepped away. I thought we were talking about your mother. Oh, well, oh, that too. <laughs> Today is my mother's 99th birthday by coincidence. Um, she lives alone, and uh, tip the hat to mom. I don't think she listens, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd forgotten that. That's amazing. That's just, you know, anybody living to that age and being able to maintain by themselves is just amazing. That's amazing. It, it's scary in, in, in today's environment. Uh, you know, with all this going on, and I just wonder how she manages. Does she stay in, or does she actually go out and go shopping? And you know, does she, it's it, it's got me curious. But uh, yes, that's well, yes. Well, Kurt, you, you will have to do a transcript of this show and send it to her so she can read it. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. One, one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, while trolling the burn message board, uh, burnrobotics.com, uh, someone had asked uh, about Star Trek New Visions. And John Byrne did happen to say that Chris Wyle and him were discussing some kind of relaunch. And that was, of course, before the madness fell upon the world. But there was no definite date. And, of course, once word of this got out and everybody started going, all right, we're going to get some more Byrne Star Trek. This is great. And he goes, hold the horses, hold the horses, back up, back up. <laughs> it's not coming anytime soon. And so I guess he's going to have to, um, you know, he, he's not going to be able to cement anything until, you know, the the pandemic itself, you know, gets out. Because he's going to have to meet and work with uh, uh, IDW in order to get the, the next issues prepped. But at least we know that this is something that's in his, you know, near future, hopefully. Yeah, I figured, I know he'd come back to it, it's just, it's just a matter of when. Yeah, I definitely want to. I'm thinking I'm going to do a reread of that while I'm on my vacation here. So, uh, I uh, that's that's something that that's, and maybe I'll pick something that we can cover in uh, in one of our future episodes. I know we've been talking about doing that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, anybody got anything else they want to discuss before we get into the book? No, I think we uh, let's we're covering two issues, so we can, think we can kind of jump in and. Um, go through this and, and I, we normally don't do a synopsis which I uh, I was too lazy to go back and listen to my our own shows but uh, actually because I'm just used to doing it I wrote a synopsis for issue 11 and 12 so uh, do you want to do we want to do issue by issue so I'll read yes. 11 yeah. we'll talk about 11 okay yeah now uh, it, can, it it's can get confusing it's important and we do this for every book that we go back and we look at what else Berm was working on during that time oh wait 
I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I crossed that out. It's like, well, he was working. He was working on this. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, to, to be fair, we don't know what he was working on. He could have all kinds of stuff he's cooking up, but we just is, don't know about it. This is true. But as far as what's coming out this month, now again, uh, there is discussion about the Epic Hulk collection, and we we don't know what all is going to be in that. Um, but there's also what was the other omnibus that they had announced? Um, I know the Shield well, omnibus comes out ex- early next year. I was excited about this Hulk uh, because we were just talking about all, you know behind the curtain, talking about what to do in the future, and somebody suggested let's take a look at the Burn Six uh, Incredible Hulk issues. Well, uh, amazingly enough, they're yeah. putting them out. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's listening to us, and they're uh, yeah. See, we're 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 influencers. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And there was something else I'd seen that was coming out that, um, and I'm trying to find it right now, but I'm not seeing any new announcements this bite. Because I knew there was something else that was uh, that was coming out sometime soon. Did you guys know that John Byrne got an Eisner Award for his Batman Adventures issue? No. And it's it's one of the things that you know. He, of course, that's you know that was the first time he was nominated for. Okay, he was nominated for it. He didn't win it. Nominated for an Eisner Award for a job, and it it's the one time that he did did something. You know, it's one of those times he did something in somebody else's art style. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he did one of those Batman adventures, and it was basically a Joker story. Um, and of course, you read that, and you can just hear Mark Hamill's voice. Uh, the way he's got that drawn, so uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I've been trolling Burns' website trying to find interesting things. So you know. now uh, another thing that I did see is that there is, and I don't know how how interested people are in this because uh, it's not necessarily Burn, but it's part of what brought Burn to where he is. Is that there's an omnibus of the Dave Cockrum run on the X Men. Uh, that's out there, or an, oh, I'm sorry, an artifact edition of Dave Cockrum's oh. X-Men, uh, and that's supposed to be coming out soon. And uh, you know, the thing is, is like it looks like they're they're actually going to have just penciled pages of his work. Which, if you've never seen Cockrum's pencils, uh, especially like it, issue X-Men 100, the, and it's really some amazing work, and it's so different from the way Byrne does his penciling because. Where Byrne puts out the grid lines to give perspective, Cochran t- has a tendency to layer the 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 work, layer the the images upon each other. You know, it provides a different you know perspective on how things go on, and and it gives this real look of a of kind of like a pylon. I don't know, it, it's it, a better way to describe that, but uh, that's interesting and something I'm I'm going to look forward to because I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, his work there on the early X-Men. I, I thought his later work after Byrne left um, didn't quite have the same pop. And I don't know if that was Inkers or what, because I know that, that different guys came in later to Inker. I, I know that Bob Wyatt inked him later too. So, uh, But I, I, I don't know what it was that hurt his work so much in the later issues. But that's that's just me. Yeah. All right. Big cock from 10. All right. Do we want to? Okay. We uh, let's get into this. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I said it, as stated, we are covering uh, X-Men Elseman number 11 and 12, which is obviously, if you haven't listened to our other uh, podcast, this is your first experience with us with this. Uh, this is his fan fiction, if you want to call it that. It's his, it's, he's doing it on his own. It's not being published. Uh, it's just his pencils. There's no inks, although fans have taken some of his pages and inked them themselves, but he just puts out pencils. Uh, they're tight pencils, and he's done the lettering. So it's, he's basically written and penciled these issues. Uh, and we're going to be covering number 11, which is titled, From the Stars He Comes. And it goes a little something like this. Uh, we open with a group of rednecks crawling over the down body of a sentinel from last issue. That'd be issue 10. Uh, they are looking for Jean Grey, who they shot in the back previously. The group, uh, group of men decide to widen their search as Jean uses her powers to cloud their minds and hide her presence. The men drive off. Jean, still with the mind of a child, is confused as why the bullets passed through her but only damaged her clothing. She is scared and needs to find Scott as soon as she can. At the same time in Manhattan... Uh, Scott Summers senses the psychic link he, is, he had had with Jean. He had thought it was severed when the, the Shi'ar had uh, cured her of, uh, of the, her phoenix, but he starts to sense it again, as is Professor X. Uh, so Cyclops and Wolverine take the Blackbird to investigate. After landing, they discover the inert body of the robot, and Logan picks up Jean's scent and the rednecks. Shots are fired, and the Cadian takes the full force, saving Scott. The rednecks continue to fire, but suddenly they are flung into the air by the young girl and come down hard, unconscious. Frightened and confused, she runs into Scott's arms, and as they hug, Logan notices her fingers phasing into his back. We cut to the ICU ward at Jacob Mayer Memorial Pavilion, where Hank McCoy, the Beast, is caring for the four mutants rescued from, the, uh, from Shaw, Sebastian Shaw's headquarters, see issue 10, the previous issue. Uh, everyone is concerned, but but only time will tell if they will recover. We cut back to the X-Mansion in Westchester. Jean is going through a, uh, her own set of tests. As the examination stretches into hours, an impatient Wolverine heads to the school grounds to clear his head. He, uh, he comes across a crater with a small metal sphere at the bottom. The metal and the ground are still hot from the impact. As he investigates, he is suddenly and violently attacked by a small figure. Joff has survived his trip to Earth, see issue 10, and he savagely tears into the Wolverine. Wolverine tries to match the intensity of his attacker, but his claws are of no use. Job punches the X-Men hard enough to send him all the way back to the school and through the roof. Back into the school, the basement, the other X-Men and Jean's parents hear Wolverine crash through the roof, and they go to investigate. They find the stunned Logan as Job smashes through the wall. Colossus changes into his metal form, but because of his injured leg from the transformation, the transformation is agonizing. The small alien continues to attack and absorb everything or throw to him. All looks lost when he is thrown back and held in place by Jean Grey. Jean opens, his mind, opens her mind to the alien and sees his journey to Earth. We flash back and we see Gladiator uh, taking drop and he creates a small the sphere that we landed in from the remains of the devastated Shi'ar capital. See issues 9 and 10 uh, for the pine-sized powerhouse to make his journey to the Earth. Gladiator hurls the sphere into the Stargate for his trip to our planet. As Jean reaches the end of his story, Joff's mind is calm. He has control of his rage and can finally speak. 
he's about he came to Earth to warn the X-Men about the resurgence of the Phoenix. When suddenly the Leandra Phoenix arrives, destroys the mansion, and announces it's too late to be continued. That's the cliffhanger for that issue. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wow. this, this is, yeah, it's a beautiful issue. Uh, and, and just some amazing bits and pieces in there. Um, and the, the detail in the pencils, I mean, I mean, we were sitting there marveling at how his, his pencil work had gotten so uh, tight. No, though the first page kind of belies that, but, but uh, there's a reason for that. And we'll go over that in a minute. But um, the, 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 the pencils have gotten so incredibly tight in, in what he's doing. And some of the characters that you see there have such incredibly detailed faces. There's an incredibly detailed shot of Wolverine's face that just... Uh, it, it shows you just kind of a scary man he is. So I, I just love the attention that Byrne has put into this... Uh, this issue that we're seeing some things we haven't seen yet. Uh, yeah, I think so, the artwork in this is some. Uh, it's been some of the best we've had, and, and it was kind of a, the so a little more excitement because of you know carried over from when the uh, when we had the the FF and here are the Avengers and all that. But this is focusing just on the X Men, and it's a it's a it's a rousing good, um, especially the fight between. Wolverine and Joff is a, a a pretty rousing good story. Yeah, Kirk, you have yes. thoughts there? I'm, I'm no, just... I agree. I've been flipping through the pages as you've been talking, and yeah, I agree with the comments about the the detailed artwork. This is really tight in spots. Really, really superior. Um, boy, I wish he'd get into a partnership with Marvel and publish these. <laughs> I. Just unbelievably good, and it's not like Marvel after the fact is going to change it and say, "Oh wait, wait, you put Cap yeah. in here and you can't." It's a done deal. Yeah. It's finished. Yeah. Print it or don't. Oh, well, man, you know, I mean, the stuff. thing is, is that you know he ran into a thing a couple years back where um, he had talked with somebody about doing a book and already had a couple issues done by the time that they actually got together to cement out what he was going to do. And he goes, yeah, I've got several done. And they're like, you you can't do that. Legally, you can't do that on spec. And so he couldn't use the book, what he had produced directly as the books to be published. He had to repurpose the pages and, and kind of move things around in order to be able to use that artwork. So there's a, from a legal standpoint, there's a reason why they don't, wouldn't let him do that on spec. Now, that's not to say that IDW wouldn't be able to come to a deal with Marvel to publish these as like an omnibus or something, uh, you know, later on. Would, would they? That, be, would they? Be and that may be. That may be how it, it could probably with it if it actually is published. I think it will be as a collected volume, not individual issues. Right. Right. Now, do you guys want to go ahead and get into it? Because. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, out of the whole book, the whole book is great, but the first page to me suffers because of, of a trick that he he did. And uh, just like if you look at that splash page, what he's done is he's taken that sentinel image from the previous book, the previous issue, and he has copied it here and magnified it 
and so the the lines look a lot thicker and it doesn't look as, as as pretty as the rest of it and it's kind of put into the middle of all the other artwork and then all the characters themselves were drawn separately and pasted into the image. I thought that looked that way, and I was going to bring that up, but I couldn't tell if he had... So he's photoshopped this. He's he's drawn these characters, and then he is... Uh, I mean, it just... I mean, it's a lot like if you'll see this sometimes on TV shows where they will... They need a close-up, but they didn't take one, so they'll take the film and they'll just zoom in so that it gets a little grainy. Yeah, you know, I I caught him doing that before, and I'll go back all the way as far as Alpha Flight, uh, when they had the big fight and um, the guy took Shaman's uh, bag pouch. and looked into it. Yeah, he looked into his pouch, and they zoomed in on the face. And the more they zoomed in, the thicker the lines got because it was the same image, and you know, it, it made it look really, really weird. But uh, in issue, what was that, 10? The one just before this, uh, if you look on page 17, you'll see the image of the Sentinel in the corner. And it's, so it's a, like a four-panel page. It's actually five, but or six, but um, it, it, it would be a quarter-sized uh, panel of the Sentinel, you know, sprawled out like that. And he took that and he expanded it. And I think that that was just a little too much. Uh, for this to be, you know, really effective image, and so it kind of hurts the image a little bit. It, it, I guess it just makes the production of it look a little bit more obvious than what he's done. You know, and the thing is, that me, they, oh, go ahead, Kurt. Remember the color forms where you'd have—I well, don't know how else to describe it—the color forms where you'd have a plastic or a latex uh, figure that you'd you'd peel off and you'd rearrange. Mm-hmm. They had them in all sorts of characters: Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. you know. Casper, whatever. That's what this looks like. Like the rednecks that are crawling all over this inert sentinel, that they are color forms that have been pasted on over top. Which I guess, cut and paste, it's basically the exact process that you're talking yeah, about, yeah. although it's a different medium. But that's what it looks like. Which yeah, it, he it, just... it, it does, it, it's interesting, I'm sitting there looking at that, and I'm going back to the other page, because if you look in the other page, Gene is down in the bottom right-hand corner by the sentinel, between the sentinel's hand and his leg. And so looking at that and then looking back at this image here, trying to see where Gene would have been and what he had to do. And, and of course, there's a word balloon and, and the guy's standing there. But it looks like he's also scribbled in some detritus uh, to that spot. So you really can't see where Gene was. And, and the, the truth of this, if this was went into production, it was inked. You'd never know it. Once it's inked and colored, right? You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So I don't, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it does look a little off, but I don't blame you for not having to draw that over again. I mean, right. that's just that's just time saving. And the, 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 it just goes uphill from. I mean, it is, it gets great uh, once you go to the next page. And uh, I mean, again, the, the next page is incredibly mundane. It's just the the rednecks. Um, living upstate New York somewhere, but uh, yeah, that's, the, that doesn't. The yeah. rednecks uh, again, biker. You know, they're biker types and such. But uh, the the detail of the, all of them, just such individuals with uh, very different uh, appearances and whatnot. And then, of course, Gene. And again, this is as distinctive as we've seen Gene look. Um, in the previous issues where they've shown Gene, 
it's almost been hard to differentiate her from Kitty Pride. Now, normally you, you'd be able to tell the difference easily because of hair color and such, but since we're looking at all this in black and white and pencils, um, you know, you, you don't get, get that as much. But here, yeah, I can tell much more this is Jean Grey rather than, than anyone else. Yeah. And his and it's, I think somebody brought it up, the the and you see it later when Wolverine is uh on the on the on the wooded grounds, the he seems to do it effort, effortlessly that the backgrounds are mm-hmm. super dense and it looks like he's just kind of scribbled it. It's like he's just scribbled uh, the leaves and then maybe because he's drawing it so often he can do it, but it just looks like he's just uh, second, you know, it's just with uh, second nature to him just to draw all of this detailed background. So if anybody ever, I know you've brought it up, Brian, people would accuse Bernard of not drawing backgrounds. Uh, he's more than making up for it here because he's doing <laughs> yeah. lots, lots and lots of, uh, uh, and it's and you can tell it's not as heavy a pencil. It's a lighter touch. Yep. He's not. It's either the same pencil or he's not using a, a as heavy a weight, a lead, so that they do drop back and it doesn't take away from the kind of adds uh, dimension to it too. It does. It's almost like. Uh, you know, in, in like Silver Age books, or and uh, you would see where in, in Kirk, they would do this, like in all the Lee Kirby books. You would the background would be all just a monotone color. It'd be all white, or I mean, it'd be all yellow, or it'd be all orange, or all red. And then the character is, you know, fully colored, so that the background's there, but it drops back, and it doesn't kind of it doesn't compete with the main character. So he's kind of done that with the weight of his pencils, but. I want to draw attention a little bit in this first panel on page two. Uh, the middle uh, guy here, the redneck, of course, he's got um, a, a belt on with a bunch of things, you know, there on there, like you'd expect to see for somebody that does a lot of hunting and, and, and whatnot. But the draping of the pants that he's wearing and everything, I mean, this is really well thought out and, and, and represented in here. Though I, I'm, I'm still having a hard time figuring out his feet in, in that yeah. image it, 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 it looks a little odd but the like, like I said the clothing is, is so realistic you know it's, it's well like, Burns always excelled at that yeah the, the guy in that upper right panel uh, with kind of the chin whiskers and kind of the shaved side head yeah he looks like somebody I, I I'm looking at that and that's either based on somebody because it looks yeah. like somebody I've worked with it looks like an actual person that's yeah just kind of a so, and these are guys that we really don't, you know, he's taken all this time to, to flesh these guys out, and we, they're kind of bit, bit characters. They don't, once, once they're kind of taken care of here, they're gone, and we're dealing with the rest of them, but. Yeah, and then, of course, you get this truck in the middle panel, and what Byrne had, had said uh, some sometime recently is that he's taken to using, like, uh, toy vehicles, for the the models he's using for reference rather than pictures Hmm. and it seems to be actually I mean it's it's definitely a good effect on on the cars that he's been drawing because they they definitely have more dimension and realism (laughs) because you look at that and it looks like a real truck I mean I I swear my brother-in-law drove that one yeah it looks like an old Ford doesn't it Mm -hmm. like a 70's Ford or something let's uh since we kind of, you know, it's this dismissed by rednecks here. Uh, 
let's talk about what do you think? I know we've got to get hints at this. I mean, see it again. He, he seems to be a little bit of hitting us on the head with it. Of Jean walking on air. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to be. And in this one, we see, and it would previous episode, uh, issue uh, a glass or a bottle, something had passed through her hand. Right. And now this one, she shot the other, the cliffhanger from the previous issue, she was shot in the back and the bullets were passing through her. And in this one, she talks about, you know, her shirt's got bullet holes, but she's okay. And then when she hugs Scott, when Wolverine and um, Cyclops rescue her, and they're hugging, you see her hand is kind of, I, I said phasing, but that's what it looks like. It's like her hand is is phasing into his back, and Wolverine's giving this kind of a look. Um, and it, that's all hints that something is not right. You know, this is either, and we find out later, and I won't spoil it, but you find out later what kind of an explanation for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did you guys think about the, that and what Burns seems to be going you know, what he seems to be going to with the storyline. It kept me intrigued, so it worked. Um, Yeah, he may have hit us over the head, but this is why I read John Byrne comics, because of these sorts of things that that draw me right along. I don't have the explanation, uh, so I'm still puzzling, and I might have missed it. But it, it seems so clear to me that she's manifesting Kitty's powers, and I don't I'm thinking that it's Kitty and or Nightcrawler, but, you know, phasing, um, making things insubstantial, walking on air, I don't understand yet. Uh, maybe you guys have, have leapt to the conclusion, but I'm still in the dark. You know, when, when I first started seeing this, it, it, it made my mind go back to Burns' run on Avengers West Coast and what happened with the Scarlet Witch and the Twins. Yep. Because you remember, it's like if, if Wanda wasn't thinking of the twins, they would blink out of existence. Right. And so in Jean's case, there was something going on with her that, you know, would, would basically cause things to go through her. And, and we saw that her emotional state might have something to do with it here. But, you know, it's like as her emotional state gets heightened, different things were happening. I didn't think it was related to Kitty. I just think that that, that was the most obvious side effect. Because we'd also seen, you know, the, the one moment where the little bird toy flew. Right. That shouldn't have. And, of course, Gene's powers always had something to do with, you know, I mean, it, the basic idea of it is telekinesis. Yes. But the, the, the incredibly in-depth side of it that Phoenix manifested was the rearrangement of molecules. And we know that Byrne likes to take these concepts and push them to their ultimate zenith. And so I think, you know, that, that again, either she was adjusting the molecules of the, like, like the shotgun shells when they go through her, or she's adjusting, you know, herself. Hard to say. But it's an instinctive thing rather than you know, just, um, you know, a thought, oh, I need to do this. But again, yeah. you know, just what it, it, it's there. It, there's enough mystery in there that's really got me going, what is going on? And I want the full story. I, I still don't buy everything I've gotten so far. I need more. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, we'll, when we cover the next issue, well, there is 
kind of an explanation, but it's not a. Uh, it's not exactly just um, explained. Mm-hmm. But there's hints at what we find out about Gene that may kind of explain it. But it's not. I don't want you to think, Kurt. That's like, oh, I think I've cracked the code. I know what it is. Uh, uh, and I, I kind of. I, I never thought about it being Kitty either, uh, because certainly her telekinesis could explain her walking on air. Uh, and the fact that she can somehow cloud, you know, she's able to uh, psychically, you know, cloud these guys' minds so they don't see her. That's her power, her her innate power. And uh, I think if she was mimicking Kitty, the bullet, she would have phased her clothes at the same time. Obviously, her clothes are not, so they still have the bullet holes in them. So right. um, I'm hope, I, but you, like you, uh, Brian, I think I want. Um, I want it kind of spelled out, and I think he will when yeah. it, when he would get to it. But because he's um, spelling a lot out in the in these issues, I mean, he's gone over some stuff. I think a little too much in some cases, but uh, I think we'll, he'll get an answer. We'll, we'll get an answer on that. Yeah, I think we will. It, it may be it may be a simple answer as you know, she is this, and that's supposed to explain it. And it may not be uh, it may not be a a, a, a real a concrete type answer as to why, uh, which is kind of what he did with. Um, let's jump to okay. So she's taken out the. So basically, she's taken out the the, the rednecks, and now uh, her and Scott and Wolverine, we assume, are heading back to the X Mansion um, for her to be tested now that she's safe. And we, we had this little quick little interlude with the uh, hospitals, so one page where we see the uh, the, the mutants that were rescued from Shaw's headquarters that he had been using for his ex-Sentinels. And they're basically running tests, and, and McCoy, uh, Hank McCoy, the Beast, says, you know, they don't know what's wrong with them. They're just kind of watching them. And I wanted to bring this up, because <clears throat> I wonder what you guys thought. The middle panel where he's talking about uh, Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. and he tries to explain away that his face is, and this is just the way he's always been drawn, his face is was always shrouded in, in shadows. He's, he's saying that's part of his mutation. That that's apparently not. That's not working. So he thinks that whatever damage is done is done on the genetic level. I didn't like that. How did you guys feel about him trying to explain the shadowing on Nightcrawler's face that every artist usually does? At least you know, Cockrum and Bird carried it through. It. it- it, this is actually kind of a, 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 a tap on Chris Claremont because when they wrote X-Men 137, uh, Claremont wrote a very specific line about Nightcrawler's ability to disappear in the shadows. Like, you know, because the, the, the original idea for, you know, for Byrne was that, you know, okay, he's just very dark skinned and so when he gets in the shadows, he, that just makes him harder to see. But Claremont took it a step further. And, I mean, Cockrum, I think, never argued against it because that's Cockrum's favorite character. Um, and, and they just gave Nightcrawler power after power. I mean, his mutation is his physical appearance that makes him look like, you know, a, a, a blue devil of sorts. And yet he also has the power to teleport. And now he's got the power to... You know, apparently, you know, create a a shade or shadow around himself, and it's like, you know, isn't every mutant only supposed to have like one power or a, a manifestation of power that allows them to do several things? 
You know, like in, yeah, Shaw, in Shaw's case, he's got this invulnerability, but also this ability to channel that the the kinetic energy, you know, as it, it, in, into physical power. Right. In mo- most cases, uh, well, before I start talking about that, Kurt, what did you think? Oh, I'm drawn in by this. I think, uh, I think he's going to change Nightcrawler into a villain. Or Dark Phoenix, or Dark Storm, or Rogue Storm—however you want to describe the, the the pivot. I think that's where Nightcrawler's going, uh, but I I, that's that's pure speculation. Because like Cockrum, Nightcrawler of the X Men, Nightcrawler is my favorite character. Uh, I just don't think that was just something that I didn't. It was almost like the stuff you would see in a hot movie. Like that didn't need to be explained. And it's, yeah, it's I don't know why he did it. It, well, it's maybe it's so that he, so that Hank can say, well, the, the the damage may, you know, for him to say it's at a genetic level, and this is just something that uh, a clue right. that he has. So I assume if this was drawn, you wouldn't see. Um, and it, in later issues, they kind of got away from that. They didn't always do the kind of, you know, it, to me, it always looked like he had a big mop of hair, and because he has this kind of uh, blue f- fine, he has kind of a. You know, Ohamu says he's got a fine fur. It's almost not really uh, skin. And I think Ohamu says he doesn't really. It says contrary to myth or, or uh, you know misinformation, he doesn't actually become invisible in shadows. Just that he is uh, he is so That's dark, cool. and he's hard to be. He just blends in. Of course, right. <laughs> like Spider Man, he's also wearing a a very bright red <laughs> costume. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for him to. Uh, to fit into, uh, you know, completely disappear in shadow the way, say, the black costume would. But uh, I, I just thought, you know, it doesn't it doesn't affect the story. I just thought that didn't need to be explained. I don't want I don't want an explanation as to why Nightcrawler has shadows on his face. But um, I think your your idea is kind of interesting, Kurt. If you guys go um, uh, go that to go route and make him uh, make him a villain, then uh, well, the, uh, I- I mean, if anything's going to cause Nightcrawler to go rogue like that, I mean, think about this for just a moment, because not only is his power being affected here and he's been used in a really bad way, but his, the woman he loves, Amanda Sefton, was killed in in one of the earlier, apparently killed in, in the earlier issue when the explosion happened they, where they captured Nightcrawler in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And At so, least taken off the board. Yeah, and and so you know you're talking a major change in the Nightcrawler character. Uh, I do yep. want to point out I really love the, the Hank wearing the glasses. Yep. Uh, and and utilizing those particular frames. Of course, you know we, we talked about this before how Byrne likes to put the Hank McCoy face that he knows on this character. Uh, so he he doesn't just look like the blue furry beast that we've been seeing in Avengers and and everything. He looks like Hank McCoy, but also the blue furry beast. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. Captain the Vision in the bottom right of this uh, this mm-hmm. page as well, and especially I think there's a nod to the Vision's origin. Maybe I'm reading between the lines too much, but Cap says. Hang in there, Vision. If there had been equipment like this during the war, millions might have survived who were lost. Well, I'm I'm catching a little irony there in terms of the Vision's origin, <laughs> that he has World War II vintage parts in him. I don't know. I caught a significance there. Maybe it's not not actually there, but little Easter egg. 
Mm-hmm. Could be. I didn't pick up on that. I thought yeah, it was just Cap kind of being uh, philosophical. Right, exactly. It's yeah. like, you know, well, if, you know, we could, you know, it's always, well, we, you know, who could we have saved before? You know, I, I did the, you know, I did the best I could. I saved as many as I could. But, you know, if we had this kind of tech, we could have, uh, we could have prevented a lot more of that. But, um, so then we cut back to the X Mansion where, uh, apparently, you know, everybody here is trained to either the tech is so high, it's very user friendly, or that we don't need a physician because I guess Scott is examining, uh, Gene. And Wolverine is kind of in the foreground here, and he's getting antsy, and he's getting uh, impatient, and he, you know this is That's not his thing. Standard X Men training. I mean, you learn to a pilot the the the, the various airships that they have, including the Blackbird and SR seventy one modified. You learn to control the danger room and program scenarios. You learn to use the the medical equipment and everything in this very state of the art, up to date lab. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like uh, what was that movie with uh, Luke Wilson? Was it, uh, that that uh, Mike judged it? Mediocrity or idiocracy? Idiocracy, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's just all you got to know is push this button and have them suck on that tube and stick the other one there and let the machine. It, 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 <laughs> it, it may be kind of next gen level where you can say, "Computer, scan Jean Grey," and then the computer will scan her and say, "You know." And give a list of all the anomalies, but um, that image of it, Logan there in the in the, in the corner is it, just the the face. Uh, I mean, this that's just awesome. He's not pleased, and I'm. I've, if you flip back two pages, the last time we've seen him is his reaction was shock. Yeah, as well, Wolverine notices something. I didn't catch what he was noticing until you guys spelled it out yeah but i i read it as that's a continuation of i don't know why he doesn't spill the beans i don't know why he doesn't say hey scott you know here's something your machines aren't going to pick up but i saw this you know it's obviously plotting it's it's burn only meeting out a certain amount and playing out the thread and bringing you along teasing you along i yeah, love it yeah, you're right. He's he is. He's kind of playing it close to the chest, and I think that that uh, his expression is he's also when he talks about it in the bottom panel, he's a little conflicted. That he is he still in love with Jean Grey now that he's met Mariko? Is he in love with her? So who you know? I think he's he's definitely quantifying the fact that he doesn't feel for Jean the way he did. Right. I mean, he says, yeah, it sets all kinds of mixed signals in his head. He's worried about it, sure, but the feelings ain't what it was a few months back before he met her. And, I mean, so, yeah, it's concern. And, you know, the thing is, Logan wasn't somebody that, before Heather and Mac, got concerned about anyone or anything. And so, you know, he's having to rethink, you know, what, you know, who he is. He's definitely evolving a little bit. He's not evolving like the Logan that we saw in the other X-Men where he, he becomes super ninja and all that, but he is evolving. No, but this is not his this is not his strength. He's not a uh, he's not a tech guy. He likes to solve things either with his either brute force or his claws or, you know, his 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 instincts. And he definitely doesn't sit there and think emotions. You know, he does right. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. want to sit in a nice warm salty <laughs> bath and consider <laughs> his love life. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that's that's kind of a, you know, you've, you've seen, how many times you've seen that in a film where it's a character who's kind of cut himself off and doesn't like to let people in, mm-hmm. uh, and then slowly, you know, he starts to kind of come to terms with his emotions. So, uh, you know, Wolverine does what he does best, I guess. He runs out and just got <laughs> <laughs> to run, so he just runs around uh, the the acreage around the, the mansion, and apparently he does it for two hours, so... Yeah, yeah, and the bottom he's... panel is beautiful. Now, which one? That's what we got to run. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm talking dirty. about. All the look, look how easily he seems like he has drawn all of the the leaves and the trees oh, and yeah. everything. Yeah, Just these amazing. Next couple, these next couple pages are some of my favorites uh, in this issue, uh, especially like when you get to page nine and there's that face shot of him, and you can tell that he's like he's got his ears just open wide. He's sniffing the air. And he's just trying to figure out what's going on. He's squinting a little bit. It's a, it's an interesting expression. Yeah. And of course, he finds the uh, the capsule or whatever it is that's got <clears throat> Joff in it, and he's going to do his uh, best impersonation of a can opener on it. <laughs> well, it looks I'll, like he's kind of yeah peeling it back, and then yeah. Uh, but I love Joff. that on on page ten when he gets up to it. And just the detail there, you know, like his hand, holding his hand in front of his face so you can see the heat coming off of it. And he's only using one claw to, to work on it. Yeah, it looks like Alec, he's peeling it back. Yep. Um, but I guess at one point, he, when he gets attacked, he's got them all popped. And Joff looks like he's, I don't know what the coloring would be on him, but he looks like he's been scorched or he's yes. blistered yes. or something. Oh, it's um, disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like a mutated gremlin. Yes. Yeah, he does. And he's he just, got fed he's, after midnight. It's <laughs> just, and when he flips Wolverine, that that upper panel, uh, or Wolverine's kind of going, you know, uh, head over elbows there, um, and and what we I guess we should explain that Joff is the he's the guardian of the uh, uh, M crown crystal. Mcom crystal, so he's he's an artificial construct, isn't he? That's what they said, and he's in, he's part of the Imperial Guard, but he sure does act like a a very sentient being in what we've been reading. And this is someone that's been driven to near insanity by the the trip that he's taken. Yeah, I I, 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 I yeah I agree. I think he's sentient, but I don't think he's not. He wasn't born this way. He was either created or he's manufacturer here or something but he's supposedly because he he uh and we find out later he's gladiator mentions that he can't be killed right um but but he's apparently you know omega level powerful here so he's he's just trashing it i mean really just mops the floor with wolverine you know throws him through a tree and then wolverine goes which uh, which is nice that bottom panel where he's kind of pulling his he's he's uh, popping his claws and then you get that scene with all the claw like he's it's just like a blur yeah where he is uh trying let to chop a- up let me ask you though before that in the, in the middle panel on page 11 when you see his face and burn has drawn the 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 eyes to show i guess more intensity and he did the same thing in a few pages before with wolverine we, you know that's not something that we've really seen a whole lot of in in his x-men run does that bother you guys at all when you see that when he does that? When you see like the iris or see yeah, his, the yeah. eyeball? Yeah, I don't. I usually don't like it. I'd rather prefer it to be 
because you know it's like Batman. You know, you don't see they, you can see kind of the expression, but he'll change the shape of the eye, right? Which is, doesn't make sense because it's a mask. But uh, I don't necessarily like the eyeball inside the eye. I'd rather it just be white. Yeah, I disagree. I'm just the opposite. The eyes are the windows to the soul, and you get so much emotion, mm-hmm. so much from from that. I I feel exactly the opposite. I love it. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. I mean, the thing is, is like, this is an incredibly detailed panel uh, when it comes to Wolverine. It, it, the, the, his face, the gritted teeth, the you know, just everything about it. The claws coming out, and you, you can see like the veins popping out of his wrist, and then, but everything is drawn right to those two eyeballs because of that, and it 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 almost distracts to me. Again, you know, and just going off my own uh, visceral response, but uh, that's interesting. Well, he did he did it similarly when the when it seemed where he's noticing Gene kind of phasing into Scott. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. You can see his eyes in that too, and maybe for me it's more of a consistency. It's either show him or don't show him, but uh, it, it it doesn't take me out. It just I just prefer yeah. it the other way, and and that that may be he's drawn very light, so I don't know if this was inked. If that would be uh, a very thin line, or think, or might even put him in an ox. He's not really. Uh, he's not. Heavy, he's not, it's not a heavy line there. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then of course the next page, like you said, you got all those slash lines and everything, and then I love that middle panel where you see Joff between the claws. Mm-hmm. And then of course Joff gets that punch in. Well, he, and he punches him through the pow. He's, he's inserted <laughs> yes. pow, and he's he's coming up through the O and pow. Um, to I don't know how I don't know how far he ran, but if he were either he was running in a circle, or he ran pretty far off, he ran for two hours, so he's being punched maybe miles away with enough. And they, they talk about it with enough. Jeff punched him with enough. To, he knew where he was punching him, so he knew he was where he would land with like with a with a. Uh, deliberate trajectory so yeah, he crashes to the top of the mansion Joff, Joff hit him just right to get him to go into the mansion it's like it was purposeful yeah which which we find out later that you know Joff seems to be kind of to your point he was driven crazy by his journey uh, and and all, everything the ordeal, he, the ordeal he went through but he does seem to have some level of his mission he knows where he's got to go so maybe it's why he's punching Wolverine either to I don't know, alert the other ones or maybe because that way he will have to follow Wolverine and, and uh, crash, which he does. He crashes through the the mansion uh, and confronts the rest of them. Oh, I, I got it just so that it was a coincidence. You know, it's comics. So, you know, he, he it's a callback to when they originally met in what, 108, 109? And Logan... Wolverine just dismisses the shrimp. He doesn't yeah. uh, pay him any mind and gets sent into orbit, literally. <laughs> that's for sure. That's the line he said right before he punched him. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> I love the, the these next few pages, just the detail of art, the interior tech, and everything. And, of course, the, the bottom panel on page 13, where you see Colossus change... And, you know, Cyclops looking like uh, Neil Adams and Tom Palmer did him there. Mm-hmm. 
as Joff comes in. Now, Joff would have to sit there and tunnel to get where they are at this point, wouldn't he? No, no, they, they've I, come, no, up, no, they've I, I come upstairs. They came to, up. Yeah, they came yeah. upstairs to find what uh, what happened there. So that's they found Logan, and he crashes through. I guess the 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 front the front the first floor. And then when the the next page when Colossus is screaming in agony because his uh, oh my god, and I can feel that pain. That really and took that, me out of it. I I didn't have any idea what was going on there. I. You, you know, now that I look at the art, yeah. At first, you think he got punched hard yeah. away, yeah. But now that I look at the artwork, going back one page as he's coming out of the med lab, you can see his knees specifically. And as you, if you know what to look for now, and you go through it, you can see that Burn has been emphasizing the knee and the injury to the knee all along, without having any lines of script or or, or dialogue. You know, it's very clear. But boy, when I first went through this, it's like, why is he screaming? What's you know? It's like, what? Why is this transformation a problem? I was lost. I just didn't track it at all. Well, I went back because that kind of. I mean, I had seen the cast or the support, whatever he's wearing. Yeah. Uh, and the panels, but I went back and looked at the previous issues, which we assumed this was done in the Sentinel attack when he was right. when. And there are, there are no really specific panels that I could see where it shows him being hurt. And there, towards the end, he's not wearing the brace, and he's kind of got his arm around Wolverine, and everything seems to be okay. So uh, that kind of confused me. Um, and it just feels more burn like, well, you know, if, he was, if his leg is broken or his knee's dislocated or whatever's wrong with him, and he, tra- and he transforms, that would probably cause him a lot of pain. That's what he's... Again, he's trying to explain something to us because it doesn't really affect. The, it just all it does is it just gives Jeff a uh, um, a moment to grab him and hurl him around. Um, so it doesn't really add. I don't know if it adds anything. It's a nice panel, uh, but I don't know if it really adds anything to the story, other than trying to explain. You know, it gives Colossus something to do. Yeah, exactly. It, it, there's a bit. For each one of the characters, yeah, and it also gives Joff a moment to be able to grab Colossus, you know, in a moment of weakness. Yeah, and then of course you, Cyclops comes in. What do you think Jeff, of that page of him at the bottom, him raising his glasses? Oh, it's gorgeous. It is, but doesn't his face look a little elongated? I know he's kind of screaming, but his face seems too long. This is, um, and I was noticing it about other images of Cyclops in this issue um, back on page three, and then this one here, they so remind me of uh, Neil Adams from that uh, six-issue run that he did, you know, you know, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, th- I want to say this is an homage to uh, one of those that, that, that Adams had done way back when. Which is why it looks the way it looks. Maybe. I mean, I, other than that, I agree with Kurt. It's 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 wonderfully drawn. I, lo- I love. I've always loved the way Byrne does, uh, like energy beams. Mm-hmm. He does them as almost a solid construct. So the beams coming out of Scott's eyes are pretty cool. And then when he's hitting Joff, you can feel the energy, especially that top panel where he's kind of looks like he's just taking the full brunt. And I don't know how that would be how that would be colored, but um, 
it just him just kind of shaking off. It's like he's absorbing all of it, and it's not you know this doesn't affect him at all. And then he, I guess it looks like he punches the floor. Yeah. So that that Cyclops is, loses his footing, and that's when Jane comes in and uh, basically grabs him, and I guess and holds him up against the wall when she's because I, I didn't talk about this in my synopsis, but she she wanted to go and help them when. Wolverine crashes through the ceiling, and, and they're like, no, no, you stay here with your parents, you know. This, and she's like, no, no, I can help. But they want her to stay, so then she's kind of coming in late and then kind of saving the day. Yeah, this is in the page of Jean standing there. Now, it's like, I I really, and, and there's no way to get around it because it's supposed to, to show the mundane, but, you know, it's like, I, I hate what, she, what he's got her wearing. I guess those are, like, stretchy pants or... I think they're like yoga pants or yeah, yoga workout pants, pants or, or something. Like, Spanks or, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I love the way he's, of course, doing with her hair. Because as she uses her power, her hair always, you know, fluffed up and everything. And, um... No, I'm not going to go into that just yet, because that's something I read from later. Um, but I'll have to talk about that next time. I guess in issue 13, but we'll talk more about the hair later. Yeah. <laughs> Is she physically smaller in that first panel than we've seen her? Is she more of a child of 13? You know what I'm saying? She's, she's physically smaller than her parents, or maybe it's just perspective. I think that's perspective because you're looking at her from a down angle, a little bit of a down angle. It's not straight on even, and she's okay. much closer than they are. Um, but it does. I agree with Curry. It does look like she's drawn... As more Kitty's age than yes. Yes. An 18 or 19 or whatever she's supposed to be. Hmm. Um, now, the, but, uh, the third panel, though, of her going face-to-face with Joff, the, I, I just find that to be a beautiful profile, even though it's barely a quarter of the face. And again, the hair, the hair helps to make it so much. Yeah, it's gorgeous. What did you think of this this repeated eye thing that he did? Yeah, it works. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a it's a and that it's a transition. Gene is using the telepathy uh, almost instinctively, even in in her limited capacity. But I will say that the the Gene face again there in panel two looks more like Gene ever did than than when she was looking like Kitty in the previous issues. She does, but she doesn't quite look like Jean well, from not, his original run. Yeah, she well again his original run that was always Phoenix Jean, and Phoenix Jean's always had a very particular look. Whereas when she you know became Jean Grey, or if you look at her in Hidden Years, Jean had you know a much younger countenance, um, a, a much younger look to her, and she of course wasn't as as fiery. I'll say, as the Phoenix character was. And again, you know, we're led to believe that it was two different beings altogether. But, um, yeah, it, anyway, going down, uh, we're getting to see inside Joff's head and the flashback. And yeah, it's interesting, I noticed that in this particular flashback, the when you're looking at the stars and stuff, he doesn't have the typical BWS there. No, that was in the title. 
the, the splash page, there was a VWS on one word. I'm joking. It's there. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Okay. So I put it in. What yeah, did you I've, think of... Oh, I've got a quicker. question on... Uh, on oh, it's it's uh, the flashback. It shows Guardian carrying Joff. If Guardian is an analog to Superman, is Joff a Guardian uh, uh, an analog to somebody that I should recognize? I'm sitting there thinking about that because um, I, I don't recall. I was someone that read Legion around that time as well, and I don't recall any Legionnaire that he was an analog for. Okay. Yeah. Just not. And, and again, you know, go, uh, Gladiator is a, an analog for Superboy, and, and even though he's definitely a man. But, okay. Uh, but yeah. Boy, that hair's messed up, isn't it? I did. Yeah, you ne- <laughs> you've never seen Gladiator with messed up hair, and it just shows the extent of. Um, what did you guys think of? And we get a little more into it in the next issue, but this, uh, and he's been doing this up to the issues. You know, he's had kind of one main storyline, and then the backup story has kind of been uh, Landra and the you know what's been going on with her. We've been getting a little, you know, a couple pages here and there. Uh, kind of leading up to this and then this is we've kind of seen this but he's flashing back and filling in more bits of pieces of it um what do you guys feel about that kind of non-linear uh storytelling that he's been doing it's it's been bugging me a little bit and i mean other people have come in and said it outright that you know they're especially in in areas where he's retreading information that we already know that I mean, he seems to be going into incredible depth into the level of information he's providing in these flashbacks, but it's it's also kind of a well, we we pretty much know all this. Is it does it feel like filler to you? Yeah, it it does. I mean, again, he's providing some information that's really really good, uh, whereas what what he's basically trying to provide is the true story of what the Phoenix is and what Jean Grey is in all this. And I'm not going to go into everything just yet. We'll cover that later. But, but I mean, he could have done it a little bit more efficiently, I think. But again, like like you said, it's filler. It's, it's making sure that, you know, each, this is the first time we've seen what I would call decompressed or, or, uh, you know, yeah, decompressed story. Decompression, yeah. yeah. Here in 11? 11 uh, or 12? No, no, 12 more than than that. I don't see an 11 at all. If, yeah, if I, 11's given us good information, and I especially like this this segment with, with Gladiator and Joff, though the, the image on page 18 where he's throwing him through the Stargate is... It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, but it, it, it pulls me out a little bit. And I, I don't know if that image was pasted in or or what. It doesn't look like he drew it within the frame of the that's, page. That's a, I think that's a – he's he probably left that center uh, white, and what he's done is he's clipped that out. And he's, that's a, a Photoshop filter. My, my guess is that's a Photoshop filter that will twirl that, something he's drawn or he's done in Photoshop to create that spiral. I don't think that was drawn. It, that's yeah. put in – and it does kind of – you know, again, if it was all inked and colored, you wouldn't notice it. But here, it just feels a little like on the cover page where the guys are pasted on top of the sentinel. It does. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny, I, just uh, two nights ago we had my son sit down and watch the movie Stargate. And that, mm-hmm. that looks like the Stargate. It doesn't mm-hmm. have all the constellation mm-hmm. glyphs in there, but uh, yeah, interesting. On that same panel, the ball that he's holding, mm-hmm. oh. do, you, do you see a face in it, a very crude, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. simple face? Yeah. It almost looks like a jack-o'-lantern, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Golly, it, it's almost purposeful. I mean, I, I see more than one face there, actually. But, uh, yeah. But and, and then you can tell the gladiators pasted over the image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. I think he's probably clipped that out. Did, from the did he back leave a place for Joff to go to the bathroom in that thing? I don't know. Joff probably doesn't go to the bathroom. Again, I don't think... He doesn't, he doesn't yeah, yeah, I don't know how long that trip took him either. It looks like it's probably pretty quick. It well, like I like that he gave the explanation because that's what was bothering me about how far these physical distances between the Shari homeworld and and Earth. And it's like I was I was really it's a different. It was galaxy. starting to it was starting to stick out in my mind like, hey, something's not fitting here. So the explanation of a Stargate is like. That satisfied the the puzzle in the back of my head. It's like, oh, okay, I got it. I was really pleased to see it. Right, but I don't think they've ever brought this up because he says that she had it built so that she could go visit Professor X. So it didn't exist before she met or was aware of, I guess, Earth. So at that point, they were maybe they were just doing. But they do talk about like going to warp or something. They do do like hyperspace. So it's not everything. Maybe the Stargate is just more efficient to get to Earth instead of. Uh, I'm assuming they have some kind of warp drive on their on yeah, their, their talking, uh, spaceships. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of light years to travel, since it's a different galaxy altogether. Well, we don't know what their we don't know what their warp speed is. You know, it's it's true. You know, true, and it, it, again, it doesn't. It's not as jarring as. Uh, the the Abrams Star Trek movies where it seems like they can get anywhere within a matter of minutes, you know. Yeah. But um. Uh, but it does. I mean, that kind of backstory, you know, to, to you know, if it is, you know, whether it is filler or not, it does, you know, it sets up Joff arriving and, we, and for this nice reveal, so that he kind of they come out of it where she, I guess, breaks the link, and then suddenly he's kind of back in his right mind. He said he's calmed his mind, so he's he, he was there to warn them, uh, hey, the Phoenix is coming, which, of course, he's, you know, he's about two seconds too late because by the time he's able to tell them, uh, you know, Lelandra shows up as what are we going to call her, Lelandra Phoenix or whatever, Phoenix, uh, and just looks like she, it looks like she explodes the house. Implodes it. Implodes it, explodes it, crumbles yeah. it, something. She she yeah. she destroys it with a wave Again. of her hand. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, expansion I, has been through a lot. <laughs> again, I'll, I'll say that I find the Lalandra Phoenix to be, eh. I mean, I'm talking about the physical appearance of her. You don't like the design? Not as much as I like the Jean Grey Phoenix design. There, well, there's something here that that looks like Snowbird or Dawnstar or um, there's a, a a Marvel character Firebird or something I think is what she was called uh, that was wears an all yellow costume with a red yep. 
bird yep. symbol that, that sticks out like this, you know, that, that it makes me think of. And but I mean, I understand where Burns coming from on it. It's just, you know, again, this is he's created something new. It looks interesting. It's just not as cool as I think a lot of his other stuff has been. Well, I think he's he's because the 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 Shiar is supposed to be a bird like a a, a mm-hmm. bird species, right? They're supposed right. to be evolved from birds. So she would have more. Uh, if the phoenix takes anything from its host, it would ha- it would I guess have more of a bird like appearance more than it because d- with Jean Grey it never did. It just whenever she manifested her powers, it looked like a you know a bird. But this costume looks. Um, uh, more bird-like. So I like that. I don't know the lettering of stolen souls there at the bottom. What he's done with that. Mm-hmm. It, it's gritty and it it it, it says something. It's like uh, it, it, even though it's in black and white, it's brown to me. Yeah. And this is I think again this is something we've kind of seen. We knew that uh, issues up the cylinder had been. Uh, dealing with, the, we didn't know exactly what was going on. They they were housing the Phoenix Force. She seemed to be drawn to it. Uh, they, you know, that you got hints that maybe she was being manipulated by it. And then, uh, I think we always saw her manifest as Phoenix, right? We saw her destroy the homeworld, right? Mm-hmm. So some of this is we've already seen this. We're just catching up to what is that happened. And I and, I, and after I read this. I realize all that stuff with um, the Shiara is happening because this takes place a year after the Dark Phoenix saga, after right. Genius quote been cured. So all that was happening within, within, I guess, that same year, kind of parallel to what was going on on Earth. So now both those storylines are kind of catching up to each other. And it's explained more when we go through uh, the next issue. Well, what do you guys think about this one? I love it. I I liked it a lot. I like this. I think I liked it more than the next issue we're going to cover. I like the I like the artwork. Uh, I thought the story was paced along pretty good. Um, I thought it had a this was an interesting cliffhanger. So yeah, this is I probably enjoyed this issue more than some of the the previous ones. Okay. Okay. All right. Do we want to get into any final thoughts on eleven before we get into twelve? You know, well, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking uh, we may want to take a pause here between 11 and 12 and see if we can get another cast member to uh, another host to join us. It doesn't look that way. Okay. John yeah. still MIA? Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Okay. And, and same with David. Unfortunately, David wanted to join us today, but I think we just we we had to start a little too early. Too early. Yep. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll, anyway, we'll catch uh, him in the next time. You guys want to take a quick bio break or, or something? Do a promo and and then we'll start the next one. Okay. All right. Let's take just a moment, and we'll be right back. Attention. Attention all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCAST. Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHCAST analyzes episode by episode the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHCAST on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! Which is the hottest... <laughs> 
Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? <laughs> what about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back to cover X-Men Elseman number 12. uh, It doesn't really tie up. It's not really a... I don't know, would you consider this like a, it's not a really a double issue, and it doesn't really tie up loose ends like a, a, a 12th issue normally would. It kind of does some explaining, and it has a kind of a, a big cliffhanger at the end, too. So It's the middle part of a three-part movement. Right. Yeah, and you think if this would be the last part being 12, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't matter. Uh, okay, so... I've got my synopsis here, and it goes like this. Uh, X-Men, Elseman number 12, Stolen Souls. Uh, our issue opens with a flashback to one year ago. Jean is being treated by the Shi'ar to break her connection to the Phoenix. See, uh, Phoenix Untold Story. As the X-Men depart, we find the Phoenix Force uh, was removed from Jean, and she's actually a duplicate of the young mutant created by the Phoenix so that Jean Grey's humanity would not hold power or hold his power in check. Uh, Leandra decides not to tell this to the X-Men. Flashback continues the events from the previous year. The Empress orders her scientists to create a suitable containment facility to hold the Phoenix. She plans to harness its almost unlimited power. Uh, Her advisors warn her that she is spending too much time uh, around the entity and that it may be influencing, she may be influenced by its evil, but she wants the power. What follows we have already seen in the previous ten issues. Leandra becomes possessed by the Phoenix and devastates the Shi'ar homeworld. We return to the present. Uh, The X-Men, Jean's parents, and Jar are suspended in air, held by the Phoenix. She taunts Scott and kisses him in front of Jean. Uh, We flashback. We see Leandra travel to the containment pod, travel with the containment pod to the asteroid facility. Flash or, or jump to Indiana. Professor X is overwhelmed with a wave of psychic energy when he and Kitty are suddenly transported to Westchester. Kitty is introduced to the Phoenix, and it's time for some explanation. Xavier is confused as to how Leandra can possess the Phoenix entity when the power was was thought to be a manifestation of Jean's powers. Right? Wrong. The Phoenix is a force as old as nature. She torments Xavier. Storm. Uh, a storm bursts on the scene, blasting the phoenix with the full force of her lightning. Uh, the phoenix's concentration is broken, and the, all the people she was held up or fall down, and Xavier reaches out to uh, Jean Grey to have her softly lower those that can't survive the fall. Flashback. Uh, Leandra awakes screaming. She orders her war dress her, to be dressed in her war outfit. And she travels to the containment facility, and we see the containment pod explode, and Leandra is overcome. We see her erupt with the Phoenix power and destroy the capital city. See previous issues 1 through 10. Uh, the Imperial Guard attempt to stop her, but they pay with their lives, as does the Imperial fleet. 
only Gladiator survives. Jump back to Westchester. The Phoenix decides to monologue for a bit. She explained that Jean, Gr- Jean Grey's natural mutant power provided a lens for the Phoenix power, uh, but Leandria's body is lacking. It won't, it won't, it's not going to work. So she wants Jean back, uh, or at least the copy she created, and this time she will not be beaten. This time she will be invincible. Uh, as her parents beg the NC not to take Jean again, the power jumps from Leandra to Jean. Jean rises, surging with power. This time the Phoenix has total control over this body, and this time her power will be supreme. The Phoenix is reborn, complete with Sash. To be continued. Wow. Wow. Hey, guess what? We've got someone else that's joined us. John, are you there? Hey there. Hey. Hey, welcome. Good day to folks. How are you doing? Great, great. Did you hear Tim's synopsis there? I did, Atlanta. It was an excellent synopsis. Oh, thank you. It was, it was hard writing that because it was retreading a lot of, of storylines we'd kind of seen and hadn't seen, and he was filling in blanks. So I struggled with that in a little bit. Well, it, was, but, it, was, it was a great job. Yeah, you did, you did a great job. And, you know, this issue, of course, it brings up the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And that is that that Byrne is going to stay with Kurt Busiek's idea of uh, the copy of Jean Grey. That uh, the Jean Grey that we've seen all in the previous issues uh, is not the actual Jean Grey. She is down, apparently, down at the bottom of Jamaica Bay, just like we find out later in that Fantastic Four issue. Uh, and so that this this body here is just the vessel that uh, the Phoenix entity uses. Right. And that, remember, Kirk, when I said I thought uh, the, her phasing power and levitating and walking on air, all that was explained. It's not, but if the fact that she's a copy may be some explanation as to why either it's breaking down or it's acting weird or, or maybe it has some of her residual power uh Instead of just being, it's not, it's not Jane. I wonder if that's going to free uh, Wolverine to, uh, to to go nuts on her. That he's going to put it together and say this ain't Jean and never has been, and he's going to at some point. I'm speculating here, but I, I think maybe that's the why they haven't shared it. Why Logan hasn't discussed it, but he's going to know the truth. He's not sure, yeah, and he's going to be able to, to resolve this. We'll see. Could be, you know. And it may make it easier for him if he has to kill her yep. the, than yep. it was before, because now that he's kind of connected with Mariko, so maybe, uh, I mean, it's not going to be easy. But um, Sort of like uh, the movie, uh, what was it, the third uh, X-Men United? Mm-hmm. I'm when wondering if that's where they're last he's hand. taking us. Last yes. Hand. <sighs> <laughs> but, okay, but uh, to the artwork, shall we go to the first page? And this is mostly flashback of X-Men uh, Phoenix, the untold story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, it's beautifully done. Um, but I'm I'm just ready for the next page. Yeah. Uh, the first first panel, I got something small. First panel when she's laying there or be levitating in the Christ figure uh, pose. Look at uh, Colossus. Uh, Peter, to my eye, looks an awful lot like Hercules. 
Now maybe his yeah. his costume was ripped or or changed back back in the the big fight. Gladiator, um, yeah, yeah. But he's he just that. he looks like Hercules to me with that slash <laughs> across his his chest. Yeah, I can see that definitely. Yeah, he did a uh, just to stay on this page for a second. You know, he did a really good job of of duplicating the panels and and just redrawing them uh, to like even the hand reaching out and. Uh, the positions of everybody so yeah it's beautifully rendered yeah and then you know the the image of cyclops saying haven't you already done enough i mean it's it's you know i mean i I love seeing it but at the same time i'm like i want something new (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) but of course then we get the exposition and good golly the the detail of the the shire there and especially iraqi in that um far right middle panel uh, is it just gorgeous? Mm-hmm. Well, let me. This, I almost spend too much. I'm gonna belay this too much, but when this started, and I went back to issue one. And I looked. We don't see this scene. So issue one starts with Jean has already been, you know, what they think is being lobotomized, and she's already got this five-year-old mind of a five-year-old. We don't see this, so we are assuming that that issue would have come after. Uh, well. <clears throat> Okay, if we're going back and pretending that he's continuing his stories, would the untold would this have been would we have got the untold story in place of 137? So this scene had already would we as a reader we've already seen this scene, and he just he just harking back to it. Although we as and this is the first time we've seen it elsewhere, and so that other story was published as a this is a what if. Did you get, am I making sense? Yeah. But I, I, I'm just I'm just wondering if this doesn't need if he could have cut this scene because he explained what happened when he first started this series of Elseworlds. Well, do you need uh, do we need this scene on on page two the middle panels that, where they're discussing the Phoenix entity and they're saying you know that right there this is the most important bit of exposition in the entire entire story. It says basically that the Phoenix entity found that the human body would be able to subdue the spirit and hold it in check until it was corrupted by, you know, the human mutant called Mastermind. And this is where it says it made the copy. Yeah. The, the, this is the most important part of the exposition. It's the whole reason for this flashback is so we could get that bit of information. True. And if you just had this page without the previous page, and I guess it wouldn't make sense. But right. Yeah, right. It, it can Right, and it kind of sets it, it sets her. Uh, this is almost the very beginning of all the uh, the previous issues where we saw where we were cutting. We would cut back to Leandria and, and all the stuff she was doing. Uh, this kind of is the beginning of that, where you know there, and she decides not to tell the X Men that the woman you took back is um, a zero is, is a cop <laughs> is a copy. You know, she's a she's a duplicate. And to your point, maybe the real gene is. Uh, in the bottom of the ocean, they don't they don't really know or care, I guess. But um, the the question is, why wouldn't Alandra inform them of that? That's the point of this, as far as I'm concerned. That's what registered for me when when she says no, and we've got the shot of that bug ship. That's yeah. the thing that registered to me more than she had made a copy. I I didn't pick up on that. I was like, what's she playing at? What's her motivation? Well, he needs that body again. Right. I mean, is she already being influenced by 
this phoenix. seems to be the case. They're starting to, and if she told, if, I guess if they told one, if she says, hey, this, the woman that you're taking back you is a copy, they're going to be, well, where's the original? And then that would interfere with what, she's already setting her plans in motion about what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, wherever it's captured, wherever it's, it's, it's in that council, it looks like it's got, it's, they've got it captured somewhere. And they build the 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 little pod to keep it in. Yeah. Let me ask you though, uh, looking at the bottom of page two, the way that the the Shire ship is, you know, he's got the motion lines and everything. It's almost like it's banking and then getting ready to go another direction. Is that just me? I mean, it's gorgeous. It it's it's got a flow like water on that image, just the way I'm looking at it. I don't see him banking, but I do love the way he's done. He's done it with his eraser. He's yeah. covered all that black, and then he's erased the well, the well, white got, is like the energy. You've got the lines coming in from the the left side of the page, all right, and then the the enhancement of them around the two antenna sticking out. It, it it almost makes it look it was coming like it was coming in from that side of the page. And then just kind of stopped right there to go another direction. That's the way I feel it from the the, the yeah. motion of the image. It, it just looks like those antennas are generating energy, and that's like it's at warp or something. It's yeah. it's a hyperspace or or um, it's phony space or something. But it's just it's just basically heading back to. Uh, Which this, way is uh, it facing? Brian, are you saying that it's facing to the right or that it's facing to the left? Oh, you know what? And, and again, I'm misrepre- misreading that because it, it, the the ship is actually facing to the right. Yeah. And and yeah, so you know, I'm 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 definitely mis misreading that. Yeah, it's traveling left to right. Yeah. 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 No worries. Yeah. Again, you know, it's just uh, I need more caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> and we're you know when we get when we get more explanation of she it's funny of course that was a Cochrane designed ship and and he stayed more with the Cochrane designs here in Elswin when they did the Dark Phoenix saga and he'd had that other starship that the Phoenix destroyed uh, it was definitely his own design which looked you know it didn't have the bug like countenance that that, that these do mm-hmm. um and, you know, it's like he didn't think about it back then. He's thinking about it a lot more now. But to me, you know, when you sit there and you look at, like, this is the Shi'ar Empire, meaning there are a lot of worlds that are part of it, part of his protection. Like the um, Dabari star was was part of it as well, you know, the asparagus people. And so that you should have a lot of different styles and, and designs that they will work from, just the bug design being one of them. Yeah. And, and they show... Bird, what bird-like, though, though. And you see more, uh, it looked more like the Phoenix from Battle of the Planets. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you see throughout, you see that they have, uh, it's, it's a, probably a class system. They seem to have servants or, I don't know if they're slaves or, or if they're just conquered people, but the guy running the transporter is obviously not Shi'ar. He is something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they have these kind of worker class that are doing all the, the, the seem like doing all the, the, the menial labor. Um, you know, and this is just more explanation of them getting this asteroid, uh, abandoned mind, an andorite, whatever that is, mind that they want to. You know, I thought it was for them wanting to. And this gets fuzzy for me. I thought she meant to imprison it, but 
I don't think that's her goal. She wants to harness it somehow or use it or... Or exploit it. Exploit it. That's, that's a better word for it. She wants to exploit it. And that's felt a little out of character. She seems really... And again, maybe it's because she's being influenced by it. Because she seems pretty cold and um, unemotional about what... And driven about what she wants this power to the point where she's telling me, you know, you've got to get this thing built uh, in two cycles, not three. You know, I've got to have it done now. She seems pretty... Pretty adamant. Driven. Um, driven, exactly. So maybe that's the Phoenix Force still somehow reaching out. Um, uh, I yeah. agree. I caught that too because as I remember her, she was a loving character mm-hmm. reaching out to Xavier in the past. So this characterization just really felt maybe that he's intending us to react to that. And, and I think say, so. Because he even has one of her, some of her handmaids or whoever they are, go to her, her, her head advisor and say, "Hey, she's not acting normal." And yep, yep. And he says, "Yeah, okay, don't you know? You did, you know. I'm glad you told me, but they don't. They still, I guess, have faith in what she's doing. They don't question her when she when she t- leaves. She's still, you know, she's still in charge. So she, they don't um, until it's kind of too late. Do they realize what's going on? But yeah." <laughs> What did you, I mean, uh, since you were on the, uh, um, you covered the previous issue, uh, John, what did you, well, what did you think of the last issue? <clears throat> well, you know, I thought it was a nice uh, tie-in to uh, get this going. It's ramping up to um, the big story that we've all kind of been, I think, waiting for, because <laughs> we all knew that uh, keeping Jean Grey around definitely was going to bring the Phoenix back at some point, and, um yeah, I thought it was a, you know, a, you know, I, I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the story. Um, I'm not trying to be too too critical of certain things like some people are, <laughs> but um, not not any of you guys, of course. But you know, just some of the comments. Uh, but man, it was just um, uh, the, the battle with. Jaff and and Wolverine. I mean, <laughs> when it came out, I was like five pages of a Wolverine battle. Okay, someone's liking Wolverine a lot yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, but um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a good thing. And then yeah, that last that last page reveal where um, again scraps the X Mansion man. That thing just gets destroyed <laughs> more than the Baxter Building. I think. <laughs> And, and and what is what is Xavier's source of income that he can replace this all the time, and, and blackbirds and all that stuff? I mean, poker. there's something. There. It's poker. It's poker. <laughs> Atlantic City, man. He just goes down there. Yeah. Well, isn't he supposed to be independent? Like his family left him just a heap of money. Yeah. Something. From whatever 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 Popper Xavier did that yeah. um, left him. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, but to your, or, or do you think at least they would, the, the authorities would be one during prohibition? <laughs> it's, all, it's all old liquor money. Yeah. So, right. um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, it was a, it was a lot of story being told in the last one, which is just really leading up to, I think, a faster pace uh, for the next uh, couple of issues and uh, leading up to what would be uh, one fifty. Yeah. And he, yeah, I think the last issue, especially this one, he's setting a lot of pieces in place to kind of the way this one, the 
the cliffhanger on this one, I guess, is going to... Like, everything's now in place to, yeah. to carry on. He doesn't have to worry about backstory or flashbacks. He can just move forward, so... Um, uh, mm-hmm. the, the non-linear was a little confusing for me because he was kind of not just jumping back and forth, but he was he was uh, filling in bits and pieces of stuff we kind of knew, but you didn't know everything. So you know he's. Um, Did you guys catch the misspelling on page three, where she's supposed to be talking to Iraqi but calls him Akari? Oh no. Third panel, fourth panel, I guess, of the of page three. I just, uh, sorry, I, I actually, uh, I, someone came to my door and I had to answer it. So when I got, I got back, I didn't know what, if you guys had gotten that far or not. And now um, Kirk, Kirk has <clears throat> accidentally unplugged his system, so he's having to reboot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I noticed the. Uh, so back to this this issue, yeah, the the deviation from Lalandra's character was um, to me a little. Okay, what's going on here? Because uh, you think about how concerned she was about before about Phoenix from way back in the Macron Crystal days when her brother was trying to take over, and she was concerned about the power of of, of Jean at the point. She, uh, you know, we could say that she didn't realize it was a, an entity, or maybe she did. We can retcon it that she did know that it was a force, but. Well, I, I, have, I have a couple theories here, and the uh-huh. first thing you should know, though, is that the the Phoenix was the chaos bringer of legend. Apparently, the Phoenix has been around a long, long time, and Lalandra was aware of it all along, but had not seen it, you know, manifest until Jean Grey. So, you know, there's that. Now, she you know, initially just thought that she was, you know, an Earth person that used Phoenix as her name. She didn't realize that. No, no, this is the chaos bringer taking human form. But the the other aspect of it was Deken ruled the Shire Empire with fear because he had the Uncron Crystal. It's like having the Death Star. That's how you keep everybody in line. You've got the ultimate doomsday weapon. That weapon is right. gone. Yep. And so they need another way. I'm, I'm sure that her rule is having problems because she doesn't have that anymore. And so she's got to rule with an iron fist. She needs something. The Phoenix Force is that something that they can use. Well, that's so, making sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. If she feels that the, the Empire is vulnerable because, to your point, they've lost their, their main... Their their big weapon, then yeah, and I don't and I don't get the feeling that she ever w- thought she was going to merge with it. She just wants to somehow harness it, either yeah, yeah. as right. a weapon or whatever. She didn't think she was going to take her over, but of course, it's if it's influencing her, it's making her do all the things she needs to do so that she is at a point where it can take her over. Right. Yeah, because so, also remember at this time, you know, the scroll. The scroll empire hadn't been uh, burned yet. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, by uh, Galactus and um, the Kree empire were still pretty strong. The Kree are not cool people. They're they're <laughs> they're jerks. <laughs> um, so yeah. So and these three empires are battling each other. So yeah. So she's probably got uh, like you said. Um, she's not as merciless as Deken was. So the scrolls and the Kree, you know, they formed that temporary truce 
to battle Phoenix, but uh, they're probably like, ah, not, now we now we can see that they're decimated by this, and we can maybe exploit some weaknesses. So yeah, she's probably really going on a um, a different tack. I like that. That that helps. Uh, that helps put something behind this a little bit more to, to, to it, it helps to kind of hurt yeah. me until you guys really started get, digging into that and once you started pulling away the layers of the onion then I was like oh wait wait a minute well it, yeah it helps explain a little bit why she's kind of driven and she seems detached and she seems a little because if she is under a lot of stress she she's more manipulable she's, right exactly she's she's vulnerable so that that's probably why the 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 phoenix feels that it can and it's and it to, to what we find out it's just she's just a means to an end to get back to earth mm-hmm. or if once it possesses her if it realizes that no gene had something special that made my power even uh, you know it says you know she was a lens or something well, so and that, that that begs the question if, if gene is you know the lens because you know gene's got this extra power that she can enhance why not just inhabit Gladiator, the most powerful character that there is around, outside of characters of the power cosmic? Maybe it's not physical. I mean, I know we've talked about him having some kind of psionic power. Right. Uh, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's either the... the I don't know if it, if it was just telepathy, then she would possess Xavier, because he's stronger as a right. telepath than Gene. If it's telekinesis... Then um, maybe that's it. Maybe uh, to your point, you said that you know the, the the Phoenix has a power to kind of uh, kind of like the Molecule Man. She can restructure uh, matter. So maybe yeah. as a telepath, that gives her a little more insight to um, to do that. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just a I mean, it's a way of making Jean special. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, always wanted to go back to her because mm-hmm. I guess we assume that the the phoenix has possessed other bodies in the past other beings other i mean we don't we've never seen that, that so we don't know okay well i mean we, we we do see it happen with of course lalandra yeah uh, now if you look at page four uh and, you know getting back to the art and i i think this is one of the more beautifully drawn pages just for like the center panel itself where it's shot from above and you're seeing all this incredible tech and and Whatever it is, and those three—I'm trying to figure out what those three balls are to the right. Um, like, like oh, the, ex- the extraction, sort of the, yeah. the extraction pit. Yeah, the it's extraction. like Star Wars. Hey, welcome back. Sorry. Uh, oh no, yeah, worries. it does. No worries. It does look like the uh, the channel that the the Death Star. It also reminds me a little bit of Forbidden Planet when they're in the uh, the Krell. Um, Machine. I need to go back and watch that. But Lalandra down in the bottom right looks like a Kirby drawing. Which the Shiar is one one species I don't think Kirby ever actually drew. No, but he probably would have had a lot of fun with it because they they have a lot of flourishes and he would have yeah. had he would have gone to town with all that stuff. I mean <laughs> you can almost see like golden armor over her face. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it actually it, reminds me more of a cock definitely a cockroom to me. Well, more yeah. than Kirby, but yeah, yeah. So I can see like that. Kang. I, I just like that he's that whether it's intentional or not, those elements are still coming through in the story. 
which is hearkening back to those of us who grew up with Kirby and Cockrum and, you know, Ramita and, you know, all of those folks. So that's really, really nice to see those elements still um, honored. Fact of the matter is the uh, the center image that I was talking about makes me think of uh, Keith Giffen during the the Great Darkness saga on the Legion on his Legion run. That makes me think of, of several of the panels that he did there. He liked to do those above and below panels. And I thought that was very effective. Then, then again on the next page on page five, the uh, the thing that grabs your eye is the. Uh, the, the pod, the, the pod, because it's all white. It's such, it's like negative space just grabbing at you. It's more it really white is. than anything else. I just love it. Well, you can feel that kind of a, the intensity that, like, you just know that's just. Uh, and it would probably be white in the comic. Uh, it's just, it's like it's white hot, or it's radiating um, whatever's inside it, so that that um, it doesn't seem to be producing any light, but. Um, yeah, I would say I feel the same way. It's, it's, a, it's a cool, as simple as it is, it's a cool image. Does it remind you anything of a, uh, a pod or a cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Interesting. Hmm. And then we go to the next page, and it's a big splash page of the X-Men, well, Wolverine, Cyclops, Colossus, and others being held up in the air. Jean's there, Joff is there, and the Greys um, are there. And when I first looked at this, I thought Wolverine had gotten staked through the heart by that piece yeah. of wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, again, I love that. However he does that, that that font or whatever for the title, Stolen Souls, uh, very gritty and dark. It doesn't look as brown as the one in the previous uh, issue, but it's... Uh, that's I just find that really really cool. And I think it's, it's, it's I'm sure that's a, a, a Photoshop filter, but it, to me it looks like it's supposed to be kind of glowing. Like the the it, it's internally it's really hot, but the edges are are a little are kind of cool. But that's that's it's supposed to to me it feels like it's like it's full of energy. But uh, this is a great splash page. I kind of wish it was. It, you know, of course we're what five six pages in. Um, but there and is, I guess good. No, I was just saying I didn't realize until you see the next page that that uh, the phoenix is manifest as a she's looked like she's about thirty feet high, you know. I thought she was human size, but no, she's a much larger. And then she shrinks um, down, though. That's true. Yeah, when she's come down to, to taunt Scott and kind of kissing in front of Jean. Um, yeah, she's like, okay, I got to find out what's so special about this. This is like a scene out of Friends where Phoebe kissed Rachel. And then, yeah, I've had better. You know, she's like, I've had better and throws him away. But I love the fact that if you look at Cyclops, he's got his head turned already to try and see where he's going. Very self-aware yeah. and aware of his surroundings so that he can try and find a way to survive that. Well, it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, she seems to be almost coming to terms with the phoenix is now inside a, a, a humanoid body uh, with he- with emotions and you know a brain that it seems to be that she's coming to terms with like oh what are these emotions that I'm dealing with and, and that's why she says well, well let's find out why she liked you and she kisses Scott and it's like well you know I get nothing from that uh, to your point so it's interesting to kind of see her still 
almost like when she was first manifest, she was kind of running on. She made first thing she did was she destroyed everything because she was being attacked. So she was kind of in instinct mode, and now she's realizing that maybe uh, she's dealing with Alandra's or not humanity, but whatever her her emotional state is kind of um, influencing the Phoenix a little bit. I'm sure that uh, what's happening is that she's still the, the Phoenix is still you know figuring out the new body and mm-hmm. you know, like you said the, the emotional state probably there's that internal going on that Landra really is trying to do the right thing uh, and she's not really out trying to just be evil but so that's probably a little bit of the struggle so yeah I think there's she's not fully powerful and she's not as powerful of course because Lelandra's doesn't have those powers I gotta uh, say I love the image of the greys down there in that first panel where they're just hanging on to each other for dear life you know the rest yeah. of the X-Men are like floating <laughs> in the air and they're like okay yeah it's Thursday but <laughs> the, gray, yeah. the greys are yeah. are like holy cow <laughs> Sorry, just an observation. Well, they're the ones that, that uh, well, when we cut back, you know, we haven't cut back to it yet. They're the ones that say, well, I thought Jane was the Phoenix. And this is to make sense. And there would yeah. be a little explanation of, like, no, no, no. It's, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a... Um, I, love, I love the juxtaposition of this page to the previous one. Because the previous one is all full of crap and stuff floating through the air. And all the stuff that's down behind them and, you know, a lot of detail and such. Then you get to this page, and it's almost completely full of negative space in those first several panels, where it's just blank behind everybody. And I, I think that's an effective use of that. No background in there. And this is where people are going to say, well, Burn doesn't like to draw backgrounds. No, there's a reason behind this. Yeah. Yeah, it's to focus the... to move your focus to what, what he's doing, which is a lot of the stuff that he's the story he's telling is not in the words it's in the it's in the pictures I mean Cyclops' face uh, as she's holding his uh, chin there you know and you know you could it looks like he's like resisting like no no yeah, yeah. he's trying not to uh, at the same you know, time it makes his neck look really funny <laughs> yeah uh yeah I, now I can't look away from it <laughs> <laughs> okay um and, and then she's like, "Oh yeah, you're not a good kisser." Bye. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what Jean saw in you. So, uh, but the next so. page goes to flashback. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, this is one of those things. I was just like, "Oh come on!" I, I, I was wanting to get past it to get to the rest of the story. Well, and I did. did I, yeah. Right, go ahead. Yeah, but I just I just didn't see the the point of all this right here. It just it was it was kind of you know distracting. And then of course we then on page nine we go to Professor Xavier and Kitty, and then apparently they get pulled away. And that's uh, golly, I can't I cannot ever remember the name of the girl and her mother. The girl that's got the power to the girl that that if they they gave the Phoenix that girl's power, holy cow. Ashley? Uh, Is it Ashley? Ashley. It's not Evans. But um, Mm. I think you're right. 
Hey, Brian, and this, I guess, could be for all of you, all of us. Uh, what would be an effective way to provide that background flashbacky stuff? Well, again, you know, I mean, this is for the sake of, of telling the story, and it's there. You know, it, it's almost like there there could have been one or two panels rather than a whole page. Mm-hmm. Um. Because you you probably could have put all that in the top two panels and then moved on to Xavier and Kitty getting kidnapped again. That didn't have to take up an entire page. Um, it, it, yeah. Again, we were talking before, saying that that this you know these issues had a a, a decompression about them that we weren't typically seeing in Burns' work, and especially in, in that era of comics. Yeah, and so this this was in for me a little infuriating. But again, we're reading a free comic, we're seeing brand new art. I can't fuss a whole lot because you know for the sake of what we're getting, it's damn good. Uh, yeah. You know, there there's just that you know if I were doing it, and again I'm not going to be doing it, not ever going to be doing it. Um, I would have done a little differently. But again, that's not for me to say. Well, uh, I also. It, there's other people that fuss a little bit about the, the pacing and the uh, the structure of the story, and so you know I'm just kind of putting my own my own thoughts on that. Well, I think the the, the what seems to be these flashbacks seem to be giving us is uh, Leandra's uh, motivation because in the previous issues we saw her doing her actions, we saw her going here, going there without a lot of insight. This seems to be explaining why she did that. Uh, so we know, you know, she wants the power, she wants to harness it, she need, you know, we don't know why, but you know, to, I mean, John's point that she probably needs it to, uh, to protect the empire. So it's there, maybe you don't, we didn't need as much of it. He does, he does jump back and forth. It, again, it feels like he's jumping from, you know, three different locations and so at the end, everybody is in the same spot. So that's why he jumps to Indiana and he grabs uh, Kitty and uh, Kitty and uh, Xavier from, you know, and really, why would she take Kitty? She just, she just knows, says she knows Kitty from reading uh, Xavier's mind, but why would she, why would she just snatch Xavier instead of, why would she just leave Kitty there? Because she's nobody to her. It's a poker um, chip. It's a poker chip. Well, yeah, it could be, but she doesn't even. Um, and and I think to to uh, I mean, Kirk, you said in the previous issue, it gave Colossus something to do when he was uh, he was transforming and, and you know it became so painful. This a lot of this gives Kitty something to do. She's there. She's there, kind of as the not just that, but I mean, he needs her for something. Burn needs her for something in the story. I know I what one part of it is, in, you know, from the next issue, I think, or maybe it could be in this issue. We'll see. Well, I mean, she's there to, and maybe that, that. Um, yeah, it's this issue. He needs right. to go and check on Pablo, his mother. Yeah, and I, I guess I skipped over that when I read my synopsis because that, to me, that was like, okay, yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, it didn't need to be in here. I mean, it was a nice little explanation of her powers. The artwork is great. Uh, just get me check in on these characters that we haven't seen in several issues, but. Did we need that? You know, did we need to say, you know, we could have had her falling through the ground and just coming back up? Well, let me let me ask you, you know, you've got Professor X levitated in the air, and again, I'm on page 10, uh, and the panels, 
the first panel and then the the bottom left panel where Lalandra's doing something to him and yeah you know it's like his legs uh it, it it's it's cruel you know, as she says she's cruel but do you get the feeling that his legs should look different than the way Burns drawing him you know since he's not used his legs in years they should be shriveled um yeah. Well, they, they may be under that pair of pants. Yeah. I mean, it's just that if you if you know anybody that's not been able to use their legs, even when they wear pants, oh, yeah. they don't they don't the muscles as, yeah. the muscles atrophy. But has Absolutely. hasn't he between when he was introduced in X Men One and now gained the use of his legs no. and then lost it again? No, no, that was late. And, that was okay. that was in the one seventies when the uh, the brood came with the Shiar. And they had to clone a new body for him. Um, That's a Claremont thing for much later. Oh, they did a Picard on him. <laughs> well, that was spoilers for Picard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But um, again, you know, the the other thing I'll say I really like is the way he's been doing Lalandra's voice bubbles, uh, the black with the white lettering. And yep. there's so much more menace to it that way. Yep. And then, of course, the Kirby crackle around her in the bottom right panel as she's being attacked. And when you first read this, I mean, again, you know, if you read a page page a day, not knowing what this is was murder. You're like, oh, what's got her? What's what's getting her? Did Cyclops uh, attack her? Did, did Gladiator come out? Whatever. Or did... Uh, well, I thought... Cause- when you first, I would, or I thought the the arg was coming from Xavier because she's she says, right. you know, your legs can still feel pain. I thought, well, why does she feel like she looks like she's being uh, she's she's in pain? And it turns out, of course, that storm zapping her. Um, and because uh, <clears throat> where did Storm come from? My fault. She wasn't at the mansion. Where was she? She was um, with. Wasn't she with Beast? At the hospital? Uh, at the in hospital. And then when, when all this started off, I'm sure that Professor kind of sent out... About a points. psychic call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did say waves of psychic energy. Yeah. But he was having a disturbance in the force. Maybe um, she pulled Storm over, too. She reached out and grabbed Kitty and Charles. But I, I got to ask a question for you guys here. You know, this page where Storm attacks and Phoenix well, loses her grasp of everybody. Professor X goes into Jean's mind and uses her power to save everybody, save the ones that need to be saved. Had had we ever seen him do that before? I thought he was just telling her what to do. I didn't. I didn't say it as him taking using her powers. He was no, saying. No, it says finding and seizing her power. Right. Hmm. Well, again, he's been a manipulative bastard at times. He resists doing this, but when the dire situation occurs, his ethics and morals go out the window, and he's very effective and very straightforward. You know, there was a a miniseries that Chris Claremont wrote, which was uh, the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, story and there was a, a conversation between Reed and Ben that that kind of cemented Chris Claremont's ideas on, on on this, and that was that you know, like Reed Richards, Charles Xavier is very certain about his position on things, and 
when a person is certain of something, they become ruthless. You know, not because they think that they know everybody better than everybody. They just think that they're right in that moment. And that, you know, Xavier is one of those guys that, you know, it's like there are times when, you know, you have to overcome what other moral things that may go on, especially when you have power like his. Being able to see and manipulate others' mind, you got to have that for a reason, right? You don't just get it because, you know, a mutant. I mean, there's got to be a reason why you got it. And I think he's just like saying, you know, that gives him the the right to be able to do that. And of course, right here, he's using utilizing it to save lives. But the fact that he uses the term seizing her power, it's... Well, he's acting and he has a split second. He doesn't have time to worry Feature. about whether this is ethical or, right, ethical or not. He goes, yeah. I've got to save these people. I'll deal with it later. Right. Um, but, She's a five-year-old. Right. Yeah. Because and even if he had said, even if she wasn't, he, you know, does he have time to say, Gene, grab everybody? You know, he just instinctually does it himself. So, of course, yeah. why not grab everybody? Why? I mean, I know yeah, Wolverine and Colossus can he's survive. Very but. selective and Joff too. Yeah. 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 He's very selective about who he grabs. I mean, he grabs the Greys. Well, I'm Gray. The Greys himself, he saves everybody else. He just kind of lets go, so that. Uh, Colossus just falls to the ground, but Colossus would have to change. Wasn't he in human form at that point, or was he still? No, he was. No, I think he was still armor. in his armed form. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, but uh, Kitty just goes through the ground, and then we see her go all the way down through the mansion, through several floors, and then comes a new line of dialogue that's kind of interesting. She says, "I can swim through the wreckage." You know, we knew about her ability to be able to walk on air and stuff like that, and she can basically swim through items as she's facing. And also sense what's around me. Now he doesn't elaborate on that, but that that's something new that we hadn't heard before. Yeah, she hadn't talked about that. I mean, I mean, now they talk about she can't when she's swimming through solid metal like that. She can't breathe, so it is like swimming. She has to. Uh, but I mean, does she have to hold her breath and do it, or does she just not need to breathe while she's phasing? I think they. I think another issue she's talked about that she can't she couldn't just go through solid matter forever because she would run out of breath she's yeah, holding her breath or... I think there was something at some point where she does have to breathe at some point uh, whatever that means you know <laughs> and it's hard to tell yeah it, it's it I guess it's dependent upon how a writer you know whatever writer that deals with her decides her power works because if you're phasing then you're not your body's not going to be able to process anything and who says what in your body gets you know gets to phase at the same time does the oxygen in your lungs phase with you it should but you know again you know it, it, it's it's all dependent upon how the phasing works isn't well it's, 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 thing or it's like it's like sue storm's uh force fields they apparently let air through when she wants to when she or wants she can to. Yeah, or she can cut them off, you know, if she wants to, you know, try to suffocate somebody. So it, it's it's whatever the the. I would think if she's going through this rubble, she would find pockets that she yeah. could kind of breathe. But I don't know if she could has to. To your point, maybe does she when she's phased? Does everything go through her so she can't even even breathe? But yeah, and we that, know that that as she gets older, she would be able to control. You know, like like she could make one part of herself solid while the rest is still phasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, if if she can speak while she's phasing, then that means she's she, processing she air. Yeah, and she does that. She does. comes out of the wall and starts talking to but, Carla and Pablo. It's a but, great effect. Yeah. yeah. But, but let's remember, this is all comic book science, so it doesn't yeah, necessarily yeah. mean it match ours. But that's what's fun, to be able to I sit there and talk about this. And exactly. You actually sound like you might be smart. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> At the bottom of this page, we've got Carla and Pablo. Mm-hmm. Again, he's autistic, or at least he's a blank slate. I have the feeling that Byrne is keeping him, them in the story because that kid is going to pay off. Oh, I'm yeah. thinking that that is that's the wild card. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm speculating here, but if they have to move the Phoenix Power someplace, what better than a than? Ooh. You know what I'm saying? I know, but that sounds like it's going to be tragic. Could be, could be. On the other hand, it could also develop the kid so that he's become, so to speak, normal or able to function. But you know, that's where you could park the phoenix for. Or, or it's his innocence that is able to mm-hmm. temper her, control, or, or dampen the phoenix to the point where he can hold it there and it not come out. And then, of course, it'll you know we know later it's going to come out. Sure. Yeah. Severe consequences, oh, sure but, but um but yeah, you're right. Otherwise, why why are these two in this in here? Other than right. him just wanting to to introduce something, but or just trying to make sure that that we know he hasn't forgotten about them. Right. I think that's just it. Them. It's just him or each. And how else? Well, they got reach? to that safe room fast, didn't they? <laughs> uh, wouldn't uh, you? Yep. 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 <laughs> so the next page, of course, is another flashback. Of of Lalandra, and apparently there's a dream that uh, she says scalding her mind, and uh, she is you know incensed to go to the uh, where they keep where they're keeping the phoenix. And as I look at this page, you know, a lot of it is it doesn't seem to have the same pop as a lot of the other uh, Shire pages, but I really love that image of her at the bottom sitting in that ship and it, 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 if you look at her posture in the chair that's not ergonomic but that's the way I sit in virtually every chair I sit in <laughs> that's how I'm sitting right now <laughs> exactly because it, it doesn't cut off your circulation like if you're sitting ergonomically which yeah. is less healthy for you than sitting that way so I, I find that, that interesting that Byrne would put that in there I wonder if that's the way he sits when he draws I would think you'd have to. Well, I don't know how you would draw that way. I guess you have to sit over. I mean, when I, when I draw on a drawing table, you sit over it. But you raise the drawing table closer to you. Yeah, you could, or if you had it, yeah. But that's just me. I could be wrong. But the, the, again, this is more flashback that we need. I think that the the only main uh, panels are when her uh, handmaids or whatever they are come to. Uh, the, the you know the, the 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 counselor and say hey she is uh, she's not acting right and you know and he right. says you know you've you've done right so now he's he's a little more suspicious the rest of it we kind of seen we knew that she was having these dreams and we knew she headed out to um, mm-hmm. uh, the containment which which I would love to take all of this Shiar stuff and put it in one take all these pages and put them in one book and kind of read it because. The way I understand it is they built the containment. They, she went with them when they took the pod there. 
And I guess she came back. And then sometime later, I guess because she's having these dreams, she decides to go back by herself to visit again. And then that's when she has this, I guess it jumps to her or whatever, and, and things kind of, exp- uh, or and it jumps to her. Then she goes back home, and then it erupts, and she destroys the capital. So. Page 14, though, is, I mean, again, there's only one word one, one section of words there at the very top and the, and the rest of it is just the imagery and the, the the bottom piece of that is one of the most beautiful images I, I of course have just always been fascinated by the phoenix image yeah yeah and that is just fantastic and it looks like he erased a little bit of it on the right side but yeah, yeah I don't know if that's and and the two and the two folks uh, in front of her toast. Yeah, <laughs> oh, they're being they're planet. being dissolved. Yeah, yeah, that planet's toast. <laughs> or as as uh, what was it? Bill Murray said, "This chick is toast." Okay. Anyway, I'm gonna yeah. But um, and then of course on the next page, she after she has done that, you know, they call it a rebirth of sorts. Rebirth of sorts. Excuse me. An ancient force reborn into an unsuspecting universe. Yeah, everyone's screwed. <laughs> and as a force that hungers. But what is it actually hungering for? What does it really, really want? Now, when we did our Dark Phoenix coverage, we speculated that it wanted the the Mkron crystal again, if that was something it was capable of, to give it that, that what did it call it, the, the rapture, the... Uh, it was an almost sexual yearning, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, when she destroys that one, yeah. The, the fact that we did, we we don't know anything about the history of the fact that it's a it, it is an ancient force of nature that has been around since you know the beginning of the universe, like we assume, but we don't know anything of previous hosts or what it is. It, you know, does it does it exist simply to destroy? Is that it's goal and is it a counterbalance to something else in the universe is there something else that you know does it pop up every once in a while to put something back in balance uh does it you know it's galactus is you know has a purpose supposedly for his Mm -hmm. existence does it have what is its purpose is it to cause chaos is it to uh to i don't know maybe maybe but i don't think they've ever gone up against it or have they no. Has he ever no, got up against? I don't think so. Um, Only in what if twenty-seven? What? Only in what if twenty-seven? Yeah. Um, well, I don't remember well, that one. Uh, yeah, I probably. Had, what was the outcome? Who was the? Well, she, it was she still, gave him a slap on the face, and he goes, "Hey, you could be my herald." And yeah, she's and like, she's like, she's "Yeah, no." And he's like, "Well, you have the power of a god, and one day you're gonna hunger like a god." Basically predicting the whole return of the of the Phoenix Force in there. Mm. Yeah, and she eventually um, vaporized Kitty, and then the X Men. And once she hurt Scott, she then flipped out and destroyed the universe. Yeah, one less one less Marvel it was, universe. It was a, for a volume one what if story, and they always wound up, you know, destroying the universe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The what ifs never never uh, end well for anybody. Um, no. Great image of Gladiator here. That is. I love the termination of his face and he's yeah. um 
And it's uh, interesting that it says that he cause he's too powerful to be destroyed by the Phoenix, but I didn't think we'd established that he was absolutely invulnerable, that, that he couldn't... I mean, she certainly ruffles his hair later. But. Yeah. yeah. I, I love this next page, though, because, you know, it's like she dispatches Gladiator and the rest of the Imperial Guard come in, and I don't know what they call the giant guy. It's Titan. Colossus. Colossus boy. Yeah. No, Colossal Boy is Legion, but what is his name in the... It's uh, Titan, isn't it? Yes, it's Titan. Titan, yeah. okay. And and she makes his head basically go scanner-like. Uh, yeah. That... <laughs> Pops the white head. <laughs> yeah, with a Spock. That, uh, uh, that, that sound effect. S-P-O-K. Spock. Uh, Ugh. God, yeah. it sounds wet and nasty. It does. Um, I'm not... I, I'm disappointed that he's doing this to uh, the Imperial Guard because I love well I love the Legion so I love the Imperial Guard <laughs> but, well, we're going to have to get a new Imperial Guard because I know <laughs> we're going to have to go recruit some more because they is uh, and you know and uh, so it, it makes you wonder that when at the end of this when uh, the Phoenix has jumped from the Lander back to Jane you know her home world's devastated her fleet's devastated her Royal Guard is devastated. Uh, you know, is is that going to be some repercussions? To your point, uh, John, you know, are the Kree going to sweep in? Are the Skrulls going to anybody going to sweep in and just take them over? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Lalandra is going to need some serious therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to realize what she's done, or is it going to be? Is somebody going to hit the reset switch and through some power bring uh, reset everything so that? Yeah. The guards back, and um, which I guess a rider down down the road could do that. You know, nobody stays dead, but um, they're recreated like the, from pods, or <laughs> yeah, they're all duplicates. Um, I love the expression of the guys when they're getting, uh, or I guess they're seeing the rest of the fleet being blasted, and you've got mm-hmm. uh, these two other aliens. One's got kind of a elongated scroll and the other guy just looking back like and he's like oh what's that, going on it's one of the aliens from kingdom of the crystal skulls so it looks mm-hmm. like yeah <laughs> but uh and then the other guy looks like he came from the hidden years from the savage land yeah or he's like a he's um he looks like uh what's the character from the cantina in star wars that they made the figure red sheet yak face yeah, he's got the he's got the big chop mutton chops of hair coming off his face. And he's bald on top. Yeah, yeah. Is that what yeah. the original, uh, or was that what the original Jabba looked like before when they drew him in the comics? He looked and Jabba looked like that. I don't recall. Um, get Rifen on the uh, phone. Get Rifen on the phone. Ask him. Scott Gardner. He's been reading those lately. Or he would too. Either one of those guys would know. Or Chris Honeywell. Okay, page eighteen. Xavier's legs. Painful. Ow. Yeah, they look a little askew, don't they? Yeah, not, uh, not very good. And then, of course, Jean's mother crying, begging, praying to Lalandra, and she just says, quaint. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't even care. Oh, yeah, just... just I will say that. this... Oh, go ahead. Not well, I'll just say, this, this issue, and particularly the other issue... And Byrne's always done this, but Byrne is very cinematic. You can almost, when you read these, you can see this taking place as a film. You can see someone delivering these lines saying, you know, oh, it's quaint, but, you know, 
it's you know it's too late for that and then the big dramatic crack so um get him Elijah's back was naked and he strategically placed her arm across <laughs> her chest yeah <laughs> it didn't have to be so bad but that uh, just the, the 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 Kirby crackle and all the energy that's around all that perfect placement of the of the crack and um but it looks like Jean's trying to fight it off too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's not immediately overcome, but she does. Uh, especially in that bottom panel where her eyes are gone wide, and she's just—that's um, the Phoenix taking over, you know. And then, um, oh yeah. And we get the classic costume, which I assume is red. Um, like I said, complete with sash. Um, so it's already re- she's already corrupted. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think she's. She's. I think she's Dark Phoenix in this. I think. I don't well, think yeah, that's right now. Look at that face. You look at the face. The wide-eyed insanity. Yeah. Of that face, you know that there's no Jean Grey controlling it at all. Well, then what she calls essentially, she goes to her final transfiguration. Like, it didn't work the first time I took over this body, but I've learned, you know, from my mistakes or whatever. So this time. Uh, whatever, when she made the copy, I guess she made the copy uh, too perfect, and it had some of Jean's humanity that was kind of keeping it in check, and maybe this time it, she's irradiated that, or, or eradicated that, or whatever. So this time she thinks she will not be stopped. Terrible and beautiful. Yeah. And just and high heels again. Yep. And <laughs> One of the great custom designs. So backing up two pages, right when um, Jean's mother prays to her and she says, Quaint, the last panel is this large crack. As you say, Lelandra is carefully positioned. Are you reading that, that Jean is doing this on the right, that she's firing some sort of a bolt at Lelandra? No, no, the, the the white space in between, the negative space where the crack is at, is actually the, the energy of the Phoenix entity leaving Lalandra and going into Jean. And it feels like Jean is fighting it off. That's why She's her hands are out. Why her yeah. hands are off out in yeah. front of her? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's because... already left Lalandra because that's why Lalandra is nude. Right, and, why and she's limp. Yeah. Okay. I d- when I first saw this, I thought Jean had attacked her with a crack and succeeded. And that's why in the next top of the next page, she says, stay back. She's at that point, she's vulnerable as, as it's, as it's materializing in her, as, as the unintended consequence is that, oh, I, I've knocked it out of Lalandra. Oh crap. I've got it now. Yeah, that's how I read that. But look at the 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 position Xavier is at the top of page nineteen. Yep. He's on the ground and he's practically trying to pull himself over his legs. And no, no, that's no, Lelandra. that's Lalandra. Oh, that's She's oh, you're right. New. That's that's Lelandra. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're right. My bad. He's My crawling bad. on the ground. Yeah, so it does look like his. And yes, he is oh trying to protect gosh. Lalandra. Yeah. Well, oh, I think it'd be nicer. When she says stay back, if that was not uh, reversed out, to show there's a little bit of gene there, and then when she says, not this time, old man, then it becomes black, yeah. reversed out white, so that you know that, that the phoenix has taken over, uh, and she's still 
I guess she's, I don't know if she's still struggling with it, but I guess she's transforming her costume because uh, it disappears in that middle panel and then she reaches up and she's all wild on craze and then she's, you know, she's dressed herself again, so. So if the Phoenix wanted to heal Charles' legs, she could in a snap. Pardon the I expression. Think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would think. You so would think so. With, we'll, we'll see here. With, <laughs> I, I haven't read issue 13, so don't spoil anything, but... Oh, Does let me crazy? tell you. Let Does me tell crazy? you. Well, you see the last scene at the bottom of this page? I think we've seen, what, three, four pages, and it's essentially this same scene playing out. Now, that doesn't spoil anything. It's just it hasn't gone any farther than basically what we see here yet. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that whole issue is just all takes place in that one moment where it's kind of between her and similar to the first one when... Uh, when they're fighting her, uh, when mm-hmm. they first try to, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, put that uh, brain uh, damper on her. But mm-hmm. I'll have to wait until. Uh, so he's done four pages, so it's another. I don't know. Uh, five five four, pages. Five. Five. No, no, six. Six pages six. so far. So we got 14. He did, he did two pages on one day because um, one, one was a, a splash page. Of something we basically had already seen. This, this page itself, it was a, a recreation from a different angle. Okay. And and um, there the the very first two pages are more flashback, but it's more flashback. Of, well, do you want me to tell you? What no, 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 no. Let him find it. Don't tell me. Don't yeah, tell but me. but uh, I mean, it's it's more flashback, and so there, you know, it's. The first three pages again are, are all flashback, and so there's really only two pages so far in this that have given us advanced something it. new. Yeah, have, yeah, have advanced yeah. it, but they are some of the most beautiful pages um, you, you 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 could imagine in, in what you're seeing. And of course, there's I I don't know. Whenever I see Genius Phoenix on the page, this Dark Phoenix on the page. She is so terrible and so beautiful at the same time. Um, I, I, I'm immediately drawn to that for, for whatever reason. So how do you feel about the uh, Dark Scarlet Witch? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something that we'll cover sometime soon. I definitely want to, you know, do some coverage of the West Coast Avengers run. But I'd also like to do more coverage of the... Uh, the work he did on the Avengers with uh, Michelini in the yesterday yesterday's quest or uh, Knights of Wondergore uh, story. Well, I want to be there for those. Make sure you invite me. Everybody well, does. Let me. Uh, I mean, uh, the West Coast Avengers as well. Yeah. Keep me in mind yeah. for those. We got. I think we got to kind of wrap this up because I know Kirk's on a, a time time uh, a yeah. timeline here, but. What I want to quickly ask is, I when I got to this page, I thought, what what do you guys feel about him, basically kind of resetting it in a way, resetting it. So now we're back to where we started, uh, you know, a year ago, and or you know, twelve issues for that. So that Gene is now the Phoenix again. I like uh, when it, when it jumped to Leandra, I like that. So I thought, oh, we're going to get a, a Phoenix, another Phoenix, but it's not going to be Gene. And then now he's reset. Uh, I thought that was a little repetitive, but I haven't read. You know, wait. I'll wait until the whole story is told to uh, 
to get my final, you know, thoughts on that, but I thought I thought this was going backwards a little bit. Seems to me oh. that I had read something that he had that he had intended or he and Claremont had intended in one fifty for the Phoenix to come back to manifest herself again. And it was either either Magneto that attempts mm-hmm. to kill um, Sprite um, Kitty or that it's Jean as Dark Phoenix who attempts to or succeeds in killing Kitty that stops her in her tracks. I can't remember which one, but or maybe they changed the, the idea, they, the they, concept. They changed the idea and, and the, th- the thing that they were ultimately trying to do was make it so that Phoenix, and not necessarily Jean or Dark Phoenix or Light Phoenix or whatever, but Phoenix would be a recurring villain. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that with something that is virtually all-powerful? I mean, you know, we, we, we've seen on, on different shows and stories and movies where the first time something is introduced, it's incredibly cool, but at the same time, all-powerful. Like, let's say, the Borg in Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, they right. came out as this incredibly powerful villain. They had to basically depower them to make them, you know, be able to return over and over and be defeated over and right. over. And when you've got something as powerful as Phoenix, what do you do to make sure that it doesn't destroy the universe, doesn't destroy everything and everyone, and yet can still return as a viable villain? Ultimate nullifier. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, it's it's like having Galactus come back uh, mm-hmm. regularly, and it's like, what do you do with that? You find some new way to thwart him uh, without defeating him, so that you'd obviously have to, you know, you still have to somehow either either drive her out of the body she's in, or if she's come back to Jean again, drive her out of the body, or or uh, drive her away somehow, so that it. Like dissipates and goes off and then possesses somebody again. So I think that would become very repetitive because I think it is too big. Uh, she's too powerful a villain. Um, that's why I just thought if this seemed like if this was this would be if this was going on in the regular books, this would be just 13 issues later she comes back and then you more of establish okay now here she's the big bad and she's going to come back you know every 20 issues or 30 issues and you know we'll deal with her. Uh, I would have much rather if it had taking place much further down. If you want to give it to Leviandra and have her uh, have her defeat it that way, don't have it go back to Jean, you know. But then what do you do with Jean when, if you establish she's a duplicate and she's got the five-year-old, the mind of a five-year-old, what do you do with her? What's her progression? Does she eventually grow up and then fall, you know, and her and Scott are a, a couple again? Or something resets her intelligence so she's, you know, does she lose her power? I mean, it, it's... It's a lot of pieces to move around and, and make it work. Galactus should never have returned after the first appearance, in my opinion. I, I remember the um, the issue of, uh, I think it was 105, when, when the first uh, starship from the Shire Empire is coming, coming to them, and they're, they're basically giving a nice, uh, Cochrane's giving a nice Star Trek homage by making it look like the bridge of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And as they're coming up on Earth, and the science officer goes, Captain, this planet's faced Galactus four times in its immediate planetary history and beaten him back. And the captain's <laughs> like, hard about, let's go away. <laughs> yeah. there. Who the heck does that? <laughs> 
and yet, you know, here Phoenix is going to be that recurring. Again, you know, it's like I, I'm interested in seeing what he's going to do, how he's going to handle it. I just hope it doesn't resolve as quickly as the Sentinel storyline. I mean, the Sentinel storyline was a turnkey done, you know, and this is definitely not one of those that you want to see be that way. I think it'll be, and who knows, I mean, has he said how many issues does he plans to do with this? I had thought that he had said somewhere along the lines he was going to at least do 20. But okay, I so. think that I, I, his more more recent musings have seemed to have been that, you know, his mind, his muse is taking him somewhere with this. And he's just going to continue to do it as long as it's enjoyable. Yeah. Well, that's now, good. I mean, if he gets involved in doing. Uh, more Star Trek New Visions that will pull him away from doing this I think because the creation of different designs and ships and such when he's doing that in Photoshop is a lot more time intensive than drawing you know images like what he's doing here well in a way this is kind of filling his time because if the if the I think the comic industry is just not kind of ramping back up so they're going to start I think they're going to start producing books again aren't they aren't the the, is a diamond going to start distributing again? Uh, hadn't they already? Oh, I, I, thought, I don't know. I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't know. And the fact of the matter is I haven't really bought new books in a long time. I, I didn't either. I mean, I know that whole thing with DC, that DC's doing their own thing now, so... Um, but yeah, the same way, I'm not, I'm not buying... I'm buying back issues. I'm not buying anything current. There can be the death of the industry. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Well, it, it, you know, everybody keeps talking about the death of the industry and how it, they've been saying for years that digital is going to kill the, the the physical books. And I'm sorry, I just don't see it happening that way or even being a permanent change. Yeah, there's things that are going on that are hurting the companies, but you know, both Marvel and DC are owned by incredibly large, incredibly resilient corporations. DC's owned by Warner. Marvel's owned by Disney. They're not planning on selling them because for both of them, they realize that in other areas, movies and such, they're a cash cow. Well, so they become they become source material. But I, same as, uh, you know, when digital downloads and digital music came on, they thought, oh, that's going to be the death of CDs and whatnot. Yeah. And it's not. I mean, look, I mean, vinyl has actually made a made a, uh, a resurgence, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's always going to be because one. I, I there saw are, a brand new eight track player just a couple weeks ago. Serious? Seriously? <laughs> you did not. I did not. No. Well, I mean, I know that the the, the the argument of vinyl is they say it sounds better than digital, but I don't think you've ever said that about eight tracks, but. Uh, well, you know, there, like are, saying, there are. It's like someone saying that Burns' older stuff is better. Look, you you listen to those records or you read those comic books when yeah, you were at a younger same. age, and you were, you know, also able to listen to them or read them over and over, and so they're burned into your brain. So, like, you read the new stuff, and the new stuff is is this new stuff is just as gorgeous as his old stuff in my mind. I start look at this yeah. and I'm just, wow, you know, it's great. But I also realize that I kind of have to look at it with younger eyes, the same eyes I read the the older books with, to to sit there and get that thrill back that I had. 
the older me is jaded and you know uh, <laughs> yeah well, just uh, yeah you know yeah. cynical and well, we have it, yeah I'm sorry I'm gonna shut up now <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's this is this is just a lot of fun and um, to capitalize on something that we were talking about earlier in the show. Uh, you know about the flashbacks and stuff like this is just to remember that he's essentially creating this remember the old comic strips and the daily newspapers you know um, this page a day is kind of just like that it's like having those old yeah. um, newspaper strips so each page is almost a self-contained little story with a cliffhanger at the end to draw us into it and I think that uh as much as I love reading it daily, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is I think a lot of them would, would be best benefit to read them as a whole so that you're not like daily drawn back and forth. And you're like, what's going on? You know, so yeah. Uh, um, yeah, but I also agree that I think it would be fun to just have all the pages collected as like a companion comic, uh, say, uh, and then there's a little text box, see. See, Lilandra and the Phoenix issue one, you know, special edition one or whatever. <laughs> well, if he had an editor, he might, somebody might put those notes in, say, yeah. you know, say previous issue or see, yeah. you know, or get a little editor note. So, um, I mean, if you have to kind of go back and reread some stuff, that's not, you know, it's not, it's not so incomprehensible that you can't enjoy it. It's just, you have to kind of stop sometimes when you're reading and go, wait a minute, what happened? And think about what the previous yeah. issues were. So, and, and I'm really not a fan of these cosmic, all-powerful level heroes and villains. And it's just because, like, like you talked about earlier, there's just nothing you can do with them. I mean, uh, trying to figure out how to defeat them each time is, is just kind of, you know, self-defeating. Self-defeating, yeah. It's just like... Uh, you know, that's why I liked the, orig- the earlier on where, you know... Green Lantern was weak to had a weakness to um, yellow. You know, I mean, it's like okay, you now there's there's a way that he's not all super powerful, and um, so you know, the the ramping up of the power levels of these characters is just like you know, at some point, you know, what's to stop them from you know completely just annihilating the universe? So I don't like the the super power, super cosmic level stuff. I just think you know, make it. Make it at a attainable level so we can keep having the stories and uh, you know having Gene in control kind of kept the Phoenix Force. That was her weakness was the human side of the Phoenix, and that was what enabled her to be defeated before. And I don't know if that will work in this because the vessel is uh, was she inhabited it flawed as the five year old. So maybe that's what's allowing her to assume control so quickly, uh, and then maybe. As the synapses kind of heal, uh, the 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 human side of Jean Grey will be able to come in and take over. Or like you said, the little kid uh, will. Uh, that sounds that that I think Kirk's onto something there. I think that's uh, yeah. something that might happen to the point where because this is a duplicate, they can. Of course, they don't know there's a duplicate yet, but they, they could actually kill. You know, before they were always worried. Well, how do we get rid of the Phoenix? without killing Gene and now yeah. they're at a point where we can kill although they're probably you know adverse to killing her but they could could kill this body and you know then Gene could pop up you know if she is under the ocean she could pop up later so yeah. I'm kind of curious yeah. as to how it's all going to um, play out 
And Lalandra might spill that bean when she wakes up, like, it's not Jean. Yeah, I should have told <laughs> wow. you, you know, I'm sorry, Charles, I should have told you, but that's a duplicate, you know. We don't, you know, he'll say, well, where's the real Jean? She's like, I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, I just know That's this. your problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you figure it out. Yeah, look what happens when I try to solve the problem, you know. <laughs> you know, this 12th page, 12th issue, uh, when you look at the title page, I'm going to, I've got something, once you see it, you're, you're never going to unsee it. But see where it says Stolen Souls that, that you like so much, Brian? Mm-hmm. Look down at uh, the abs on, um, on Scott, and you'll see Pac-Man yeah. just above the X. <laughs> That's funny. That's it, it. Actually, looks more like one of the ghosts yep. in the yep. Pac-Man game. But yeah, <laughs> You're that's right. hilarious. There you go. I'm sure it wasn't intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, are we going to wrap this up, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts? Uh, I think you covered it pretty well. Well, I mean, the, the, there's several things we have to say. Number one, we need your feedback. We need you guys to write us and let us know what you think. You can do it in Facebook. You can do it uh, you know, in Apple Podcasts. Or you can even email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. If you don't know how to spell it after all this time, that's your fault. Anyway... <laughs> But uh, we definitely want your feedback. We want to know what you guys are thinking. Now, I, I'm, when I'm putting the episodes out, I'm sharing them across multiple Facebook groups. Uh, and if you reply to any of those, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to, uh, to grab it. And, you know, if you do reply, more than likely we'll read it on the air. Unless, of course, you're just, like, being really, really insulting. Which is about half the replies we get anyway. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, but we also want to know what you guys would like us to cover coming up. Uh, we've got, you know, a little time on our hands, so uh, it's it's always uh, good to get some, some great ideas. Just talking about this and talking about uh, Burn, you know, recovering the story and such made me think about the DC miniseries Legends and how it did that ad nauseum. I don't know if you guys uh, recall that. But it had this recap that was done in every mm-hmm. issue about how Captain Marvel said Shazam and blew up Macro Man. And, uh, but it, again, it made me think about that. But I love that series. It's gorgeous to look, to, to look at. And I wouldn't mind covering that in the future. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Anybody, any, anybody got anything else, Kirk? Nothing major, although I do have a question of a suggestion for a possibility. I'm trying to find the image real quick. I was going to share it with you. Avengers Annual number 13 has an image of the Avengers being surrounded by a whole bunch of hulks that are emerging from the desert southwest. Mm-hmm. The green arms are coming up. I think the cover's burned, but I was wondering if the no. content was burned. Uh, actually, both the cover and the the issue were penciled by Steve Ditko. Yeah, that's Burnham Ditko inked it. it. He inked it. Okay, so is that a candidate? I just yeah, I, I don't remember the story well, but I was going to suggest if we're talking about doing some Burn Hulk, well, there's a whole lot of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's um, that's uh, Roger Stern's story. So uh, it should be. It'll be good stuff. Now, what you'll find, you know, if, if if you read that, is that Burn, you know, he when he inks Ditko, 
he does a very light hand. You can see the burn in it, but uh, he he doesn't take too strong a hand at inking. Uh, and that virtually any inker that worked on Steve Ditko, they really didn't want to change much. So uh, I mean, it, it's it's pretty obvious, but it's still beautiful. I love the work on that. Okay, well that's all I've got. Yeah, that's a good, good. Uh, uh, he also does one. It's a Hulk that's annual where the he did the writing, I think, and Sal Buscema did the artwork. That that actually wound up in the greatest Marvel stories ever told. I think that yeah. red or that red, you call it a hardback, but it's actually a soft vinyl book. Yeah, that's a that's another good one to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have anything else. I just said that this was uh, this was you know two fun issues. I'm kind of you know kind of really interested to see how it goes. I'm going to wait till issue 13 comes out. I read them all at one time, so uh, until we cover that, I and mean, we can wait, I guess, till you know, 13, 14, or we can do them one at a time. Or we feel like we want to do. 13 is going to be a, like a typical 150th double size issue or something. Yeah, that'd be a good one to cover by itself. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, good I stuff. Nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, well, I will... Uh try and get this out pretty quick but I need I need some musical suggestions guys but uh, I think I'll go ahead and take us out of here if you guys don't All right. Oh. Yeah. for third degree burn you have Mr. Tim Elliott Mr. Kurt Greenfield Mr. John Hyatt and my name is Brian Hughes thank you please be careful out there we'll be back probably next week bye Say goodnight, Gracie. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing if you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop this doesn't cost any extra but it really helps support the shows Till next time this has been Third Degree Burn alright I'll be mayor <laughs>